Welcome to the acclaimed podcast, Deep Dive with Andy and the White Whale. Welcome to the Deep Dive. We head into week nine. Uh, officially, eight betting weeks on the NFL are in the books. Uh, all of your podcast hosts and our special guest today are in the black for the season. Uh, so this should be a lot of fun. Uh, you got a lot of people who are dialed in uh, to what is going on in the NFL right now to do a little bit of a mid-season recap and help set up the week nine card for your betting pleasure. Uh, and uh, we'll, let's get right into it. Uh, Andy, how are you doing tonight? I am good. I'm just taking in some action. This is lovely having sports all the time now. Yeah, There's we are so officially. I, I don't really bet a ton of college, but man, it's just great to have football on every night. It is. And it's going to be like that pretty much through bowl season, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. So this is really, yeah, we no really buckle down here. And there, there's no days off. There's football to bet on every day. Um, and uh, you can even bet on this podcast. Did you know that? I've seen a line hung. I heard I heard a bookmaker uh, put a line up there uh, that uh, both podcast hosts or all all both podcast hosts and the um, uh, and the guest uh, over under 13 and a half beers drunk and bets made. That seems like a uh, like an advantage line. We could take advantage of the over on. What do you think? It's a school night. Well, Jeez. Yeah, I know, but I can make thirteen. I can make fourteen bets by myself. Oh yeah! <laughs> oh no! I'll, I'll bet. I, I rarely go with the pod without making a bet. All you'll talk me. You'll talk me into something. There's a asterisk though that all three show participants must crack a beer for action. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see about that. But um, without further ado, let's welcome our special guest today. Uh, and basically, needs no introduction. Uh, if you follow, um, if you follow gambling Twitter at all, I'm sure you've seen some of the absolutely. Uh, sharp and I, I'll be it. I'll go so far as to say, kind of, um, it, you know, challenging uh, a lot of the narratives that are out there, breaking uh, through some of the common misconceptions about sports betting, and pretty much a mandatory follow for uh, not just for NFL content, but just for sports betting information in general. Uh, making his second appearance on the deep dive, uh, none other than Mr. Adam Chernoff. How are you doing tonight, Adam? One, ah. we're making a we're making a move to thirteen and a half. Great to be okay. back on the show. I guess I've made the the move up from week seventeen to week nine. So that's uh, <laughs> probably my biggest accomplishment of two thousand and eighteen. It's good to be in a relevant week on the show. And uh, you said nice things, but I'll say much nicer things about you guys. I mean, some of the view counts that you guys are doing, you're becoming. Big time. Like this is even bigger than <laughs> I think I ever expected it to get way back in episode one. But you guys are absolutely killing it. So it's a lot of fun to be on and, and good to be chatting with you guys. It's uh it's surreal how how much this has grown. I really can't believe it. Uh oh, we just... we and if you and if you're listening by and you're subscribed and you appreciate it and you come back week in, week out for our content, we really appreciate you. So thank you for listening. Um, and we will do our damnedest to kick ass for you tonight and uh, provide some winning content. Um, but uh, as I'll Adam catch you up for a second, your periscopes during the half times of Thursday, Sunday night, and Monday <laughs> night—they're absolutely. I was driving back from Seattle to Vancouver, and I was in the middle of there's like some kind of forest halfway. For some reason, it goes from like ocean to forest. 
Uh, we pulled over. The wife was driving as I said, stop, we're going to lose reception. And I just sat on the side of the road for 15 minutes and watched, <laughs> watched the pair. I'm being serious. It's, I love watching it. It's brilliant stuff. And, and your audience is tremendous. It's it's so fun doing those, and uh, really, uh, I, I give credit to Andy. He was like, "We need to start doing this uh, via video," and we messed with the YouTube kind of practicing in the summer, video. and then uh, went right into periscoping during the regular season. And I couldn't be happier with how that's going. It's super fun to do well, that. Yeah, love, ton, love it's a ton of fun. A lot of yeah. a lot of pretty. I mean, there's 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 some weird stuff. We've there's like porn <laughs> bot. So we don't understand that, but a ton of, I don't a ton understand of good it. questions. There's always a ton of good interaction with people. So that's a lot of fun. Yeah. And as Adam referenced in the uh, open there, uh, this is your second episode of the deep dive. There's actually your third. If we're being uh, completely uh, bookkeeping, because uh, we had you on for week 17 last year, but our main purpose in that wasn't to handicap football. We wanted to hear some of your stories, some of your background, some of this uh, incredible tales that you've accumulated over of, what is maybe one of the more fast, fascinating arcs of, you know, human, uh, human, uh, lives that I know of, at, at least, uh, in, in my circles. Uh, and, uh, we had to break it up into two episodes cause there was so much content. Uh, so by all uh-huh. means, go back and go back and check out, uh, what was it? Right around New Year's. It was like December. We'll, we'll, have, we'll repost that. And we, I, we can repost and to that because some Adam, of the stories Adam were talking great. down about week 17, week 17 is the toughest week. That's why we brought you in. <laughs> that's a great that point such, that is such a fucked week to try to handicap like every year i i say i'm gonna just stay away but usually you'll find one or two little angles you need to you need to take advantage of oh dude we fired on uh we were on fire we were basically like ah, forget betting these pregame just bet every uh every game with kind of no meaningful you know m- meaningful result bet the second half under and those went like six and one like yeah. that was a that was a great angle um, I'd forgotten but, about that angle. Yeah. Yeah. I might have go to back listen to that check, episode. Yeah. Go back and check out the, uh, the Adam Chernoff episode from, it's probably like episode 37 ish, I want to say. Uh, but Why last, just th- some, that? <laughs> some, there were some great stories uh, and uh, well worth uh, going back and checking out. Um, Adam, you, just this, just a uh, kind of the Cliff Notes version of some of your background. Uh, you right now do some blog work for Matchbook. Uh, you did some work for Pinnacle. Uh, you're recording a podcast, The Simple Handicap, which if you're into uh, if you're into NFL heavy uh, and you're not listening to The Simple Handicap, which is a beautiful little 12, 15 minute snippet at the beginning of the day where you recap what's going on in the markets and talk through a couple angles that you're interested in. Uh, well worth checking that out. Um, but can you give us a, a quick little synopsis on some of your background so that the people listening at home uh, understand, uh, you know, some of the just craziness just the wild wild history behind uh, your your experience in this business well your audience has grown by about ten thousand people per episode so that that one <laughs> I quite about a year ago may have been missed so um yeah i back in i guess it's, it's been over 10 years now which i'm not really sure what happened to the eight years i don't typically remember in that span but um <laughs> i started off uh, down in the Caribbean, went on a flight to the Dominican Republic just after graduating high school. Uh, goal was to see how long I could last. Originally planned to sort of bet sports. I had about $2,000 in my pocket. Um, still going today, uh, sort of weave my way through a couple different jobs. Worked for assurewin.com, uh, which has now become one of the largest uh, land-based bookmakers within the Caribbean. Um, bounced around, accidentally sort of started a lottery in Trinidad and Tobago, which... 
It did extremely well, and then it did extremely poorly. A um, couple more stops along the way, and now uh, working in the regulated gaming industry up here in Canada, um, doing some work creating uh, electronic table games and slot machines. So sort of came full circle uh, and used like a, a really questionable, dodgy run of about seven to eight years to uh, come around now and I'm sort of uh, working on the the legal side of things now, and then just on the side, like as like you said, writing for Pinnacle, writing for Matchbook, um, have a book coming out, but that's sort of on. Uh, I guess now a couple people know, but that's oh, it's because it's the world announcement here. Yeah, yeah I did not know about that. It's uh, apparently so. I, all the words are done, but apparently when you write a book, which I'm now finding out, there's like a whole intellectual property thing that is an actual issue where uh, if it becomes somewhat successful, people tend to rip it off and then resell it. And you can actually lose what you wrote, which would be oh. a little bit of a, a messed up thing. So uh, getting the lawyers involved and getting through all like the ISBN and barcodes and all that nonsense. So uh, as soon as that uh, that's done, there'll be a, a nice little paperback for a few people to dive into and hopefully take a few things to Im- improve how they bet. I like it. Well, uh, being that you have worked behind the counter uh, as uh, I guess, Maybe unfair to call you a, truly a bookmaker, but uh, you know a lot about uh, kind of the ins and outs of being a bookmaker. Uh, it would be worthwhile to pick your brain on a couple topics that are pretty hot right now. What do you think, Let's Andy? Is it. anything anything uh, you're particularly interested? Yeah, I mean, we did we did bring this up earlier in the week. The whole uh, and it has cooled down a little, but the whole fade the public hot topic and. You know, people talking and I I actually I was on a different podcast. They asked me about this and my theory, while I haven't backed up a ton of this, was that they're not gathering all the information when they're showing you some of these, you know, sharp public splits or, you know, all the money's on one side, but all the bets are on the other. So you can see that, you know, the big money, the, the smart money's on one side, but, you know, I don't, I don't know how many books they're looking at. I don't know how much information and how many people are betting with locals and paperhead websites. And I think some of that stuff maybe shouldn't even be looked at if you're, when you're doing your handicap. And I'd love Adam's take on that. Yeah. Well, you're bang on with that, that it doesn't, paint nearly the full picture but i think that the big thing a lot of people sort of disregard is the source um there's a big difference between a percentage that represents a certain sports book that sort of is consistent in posting their feed week to week to week so you can kind of get a sense for who the players are and what that percentage represents but a lot of people sort of assume that one uh, percentage of one book applies to every other book that exists and it sort of paints the picture for the whole market, which is absolutely not true. And I mean, you get into the intent behind the wagers and like the time of week that you're looking at these percentages, that becomes a very big story too, because not only do you have to sort of account for the total handle of the market, how much money has been put into it. uh, You also have to factor in the intent of what the wagers were for Uh, early money uh, in the week can do a lot of different things. It can move numbers to where uh, there's a buyback. It can be just taking advantage of prices to lay off later. So like timing becomes a big aspect of it too. And then I guess the third one, something I tend to express pretty often is uh, for the years I was with the Sherwin, uh, no matter what happened, the most important game to us was always Sunday night football. And so it didn't, you could have like an 80, 20 split. The people will drool over at 1 PM, but that may not be as important to us as it was uh, 
on the bookmaking side as the Sunday night game, which might have been like a 58-42 split. So people will sort of drool over these percentages, but there's like the compounding aspect where if games early in the day don't go the way of the book and the players are cashing in, then those liabilities later are going to be different than what it represents early. So the numbers aren't a one-size-fits-all. And I sort of try to illustrate that every morning uh, on the podcast. And a game that sort of represented that was the Rams-Packers last week. Some of the morning games, especially like the Kansas City one, didn't quite go the way. You had like a really bad afternoon card. And that number dropped really drastically sort of in the last 90 minutes leading up to kickoff when people look at their bets going, oh, shit, I'm probably not going to win. Let's pile on this obvious double down in the afternoon. And then that sort of carried over into Sunday night as well. So there's like the compounding aspect that has to be taken advantage to. But it's not as simple as just seeing a percentage and then going with it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. No, And and I, I love what you said about just following the markets, watching the moves getting better at figuring out why things are moving certain ways throughout the week. I love looking at the lines three, four times a day, just seeing, seeing where things are moving based off. And I mean, just that's only half of it. I guess you do have to keep up with the news because if you, if you stay up to up to date with all the injury news and just everything, the teams and the coaches are saying, sometimes you can, you know, pair that up with a lot of these moves. There's going to be a ton of money coming in on, everything that happens, especially with the Friday injury reports and things like that. So I do like that work. And like, like whale just said with your, your podcast in the morning, it's heavily based on just keeping an eye on the market. So let me ask actually specifically, let me ask specifically about one that you made a comment on last week. Uh, You had a, you had a play on the saints. uh, And I remember you were early on that. And you were, were the line was moving in your favor all week. Um, we saw a little bit of line movement come out after there were injury updates about what was going on with Minnesota. Uh, I get those, like, and you can and you can time those. You know when the injury reports are coming out. You know which injury reports are important depending on what day the game is. And so you can anticipate some line movement. You know, in the, in the Eastern when the when the East Coast teams release the injury report around. 3 p.m. or so on Friday, you'll see some line moves. And then the West Coast teams will 3 p.m. Pacific on Friday, you'll see some more. Um, how is it on Friday morning when you saw the line move more in favor of uh, of the Saints that you were more confident in that bet? Was it because they like upped the limits at that time and you saw more money come in on uh, on the Saints? Yeah, so for those who may not know... Um, so the markets will initially open anywhere between like 10 to four, not 10, about 10 to 13 days in advance. And all of that liability sort of piles up. And so there'll be really soft limits uh, prior to uh, the week before being played. So like the look ahead lines will have really soft limits Sunday. It'll increase a little bit. And then later in the week, Thursday, Friday, uh, sort of the injury structure becomes more known. The games will get uncircled and then the limits will sort of escalate up to kickoff on Sunday. So that's, that's why we'll see sort of a smaller handle market earlier in the week and money will come in. And typically if it's coming in like late Sunday night, early Monday morning uh, means one of two things. So it can either be, uh, sort of influential money setting up a, pot- a potential position because the markets are really soft and it's easy to manipulate numbers, especially when you get around like zero, one and two. So this game uh, it opened right around those numbers. 
and it was sort of holding there. So it was it was kind of easy to see early in the week. You have to sort of complete the story. Yeah, Minnesota with the injuries. Um, it was a big match of advantage for New Orleans going against uh, what Minnesota's strength was. Uh, and there was just a lot of things piling it up. So when this line uh, jumped back uh, to the other side to, to one, it, there was a little bit of a narrative building in there for what it was doing. And then it, it didn't take much to move that back the other way. And once it got moving, uh, it just started to take off and compound. So it was sort of a, you could see it coming earlier in the week, but then Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, as it sort of continued to com- compound, uh, that's when it sort of confirms the movement. And, you know, uh, you can sort of piece everything together, if that makes sense. No, that does. It does. Well, you hit on something good, too. You really got to know, I don't know what you want to call it, like the spectrum of spreads. Like books aren't going to take such a hard stand when it's sitting right around zero. They're not going to sit, take a stand at minus one or, you know, let they'll let it slide through zero a lot easily, more easily than sitting on some sort of key number. So I guess that movement wasn't crazy surprising, but some people certainly thought so and really uh, piled in. There was some late piling in on Minnesota, it seemed like, even if the line didn't move to reflect it. Yeah, no, it's just it's just like the fully compounding aspect of it where it just piles up. And and I mean, by the time you get to Sunday uh, with these cases, you said it was like holding up. Nobody knows unless you're working for the book what the handle is. So you can sort of look at those percentages <laughs> all you want. You just don't know. But like you can kind of uh, if you're really looking into it and you can sort of take the full lifespan of the market and sort of add up that story and then you can see. Like later, there's a lot of buzz about Minnesota leading up to the game. You can sort of weigh that against the rest of the line movement that's built up there. And you can say, well, if there's all this buzz that I'm seeing, there seems to be interest, but it's not moving. It probably means that that move that that happened prior was pretty significant or enough to at least balance it off where where bookmakers either didn't have to because they were balanced and, and they were going to what they wanted. Uh, or it just simply wasn't enough money to do it, which then sort of confirms it one step further. Can I ask you what you think about uh, low margin books like Pinnacle? Uh, are they? Do you, is it your suspicion that those lines, when they move, are influenced entirely by balancing books, or do they take do they take proactive moves on their lines based on their players and based on the information they they curate from their players that they feel are advantage players? I think it's a bit of both. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that you don't see at face value. And I guess I won't sort of speak for, for Pinnacle specifically. Um, That's a good point. How about Chris? So I won't, yeah, I might, I may know a few things there. Um, I, for example, like bet Chris, they have satellite offices all over the Caribbean, Dominican Republic, Mexico, South America, like there's all over and those all surface or those all service agents uh, that work, all over. So, I mean, the amount of money that they're taking in is massive and what the intent behind what they do with it um, really just depends on the situation. There's not necessarily a big enough liability that the company itself uh, is going to be like frightened by taking those wagers and have to go somewhere and, and push it off. It certainly happens. Um, I'm not going to say it happens every time, um, but it really it really comes down to what the specific market is. But so so does it happen? Yes. Does it happen all of the time? Uh, no, I, I wouldn't say that it does. Hmm. Interesting. Well, let me uh, 
fill in a little factual stuff at least, and I'll say factual in quotations here. Uh, I can't see the air quotes. You can't see the air quotes, but Sports Insights, allegedly Sports Insights betting percentages are a compilation of a handful of medium to moderately important sports books in the Caribbean, Five Dimes, Sports Interaction, GT Bets, BetUS, Carib Sports, Sportsbook.com, and BetDSI. Um, and I don't think, you know, I mean, clearly they're getting information and they're weighting them all somehow and they're combining it all to try to mean some meaningful percentage. Um, but, you know, trying to pretend like that's meaningful information that you can then make actionable bets on is pretty silly in my mind. Um, and even beyond that, the money percentages that they report, as far as I understand, there is one of those books provides that money information and it's unchecked and it's like, it's a, it's, if you had a tiny, if we said the betting percentages were a snapshot of the market, the money percent are a snapshot of the snapshot. Like it is a really, really, really tiny drop and you really kind of can't make any sense out of that. And that's why sometimes you'll see stuff reported and it won't make any sense. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's uh, I guess one, one final point to kind of put a bow on that. Like the theory is absolutely sound. Like you say, well, most of the bets are coming in on, on one side and most of the money's on another side. Like that theory absolutely holds up. And I said that before when I was asked that question earlier that uh, last week, I wish we actually had a, uh, like a magic calculator to get a snapshot of everything. All the, the Caribbean books, the European books, the American stuff, the offshores, the, the, you know, the bookies on the corner. If you could get an actual snapshot of every single bet coming in, that would be super helpful information. It just, you know, that's not, that's not feasible, but boy, it would no. be lovely. Yeah, I mean, even bookmakers probably aren't willing to share that with each other to some degree. Oh, yeah. so, oh, so. Um, okay, so uh, any other kind of closing thoughts on this or closing thoughts on fading the public or reverse line movement or any of this stuff? And Well, and- I, guess what, I guess what concerns me is I'm really starting to see this content that is like yeah, the last 20 games with X percentage or higher have been such and such against the spread. So I, I think once we start going down that path, and I get the reason that some of these sites are selling it because it's just it appears like very valuable information to people who simply don't know better. And they're going to pay for that because they think that they're getting something that other people don't. Um, once we start going down that route where we're I mean, a lot of trends are concerning as it is, I think as like a whole, we've sort of grown past the fully trend dictated analysis, uh, acknowledging that like, okay, this is a lot of this doesn't apply. But once we start going into where people are betting based on what they think other people are betting at places, they don't know where they're betting at (laughs) and, and have zero, at least with these crazy trends, you can go back through box scores and be like, okay, that's accurate. But I mean, once you get to sort of any decent sample size with this, you are at whoever is selling you those stats mercy and you have zero, you have zero way to tie that back to anything factual whatsoever. So I think, I think that that's a very dangerous path to go down. I think that the industry will absolutely go down it, especially (laughs) in the United States, because there's just so many people willing to pay for it. So it's, it's a little bit frightening but on on the other side is us and content creators alike uh, who know better um 
it's it's a benefit for everyone who's who's doing the right thing because i mean the content's just going to be so much more genuine and people are going to be able to relate to it um so i mean it, it doesn't worry me from from where i'm going i'd certainly never go down but i think once we start going down that path and we're very close to being sort of widespread on that it it's worrisome to say the least yeah. Who, who was that that we spoke to, Will, when I, we talked a little bit about, I mean, not even just, you know, you're getting the specific trends, but man, gambling, Twitter, message boards, whatever, trends in general. And I said, a trend doesn't have to be good or predictive to get a shitload of retweets. <laughs> that's, that's kind of what we like. like. You'll, you'll yeah. see some, but like that, that is not predictive at all, but people are just eating that sort of stuff up and, I mean, you really gotta you really gotta sit and think if if something if there is any causation to something but, before you but, start uh, getting too deep into things like because it, it's a Andy, slippery slope. But Andy, they don't build yeah. hotel, they don't build towers in the desert for no reason, man. This is true. <laughs> no, I no. Let me let me uh, let me let me uh, kind of uh, put a try try to put a final point on this, and let's talk football. Uh, the there are clearly some situations and i think college sports is probably the best example of when these exist where you have teams that the public perceives as especially terrible (laughs) that uh you it makes sense in my mind at least that there may be an imbalance in terms of people willing to put hard-earned money to back teams that they perceive as terrible and so there it kind of feeds into kind of what would already be potentially a contrarian angle uh, and if there's shade built into the lines because the bookmakers know, hey, like Buffalo and, and Chicago might be a good example this week. Like who in the hell wants to back Nathan Peterman? Like how do you have a balanced book on Buffalo, Chicago? Uh, and, you know, you have to hang a number where you're going to get, you know, some semblance of, you know, of, you know, reasonable balance here. And, you know, to do that, you probably are building a couple of points of fat there's a couple of, you know, free points built into what you're going to get to back Buffalo. And, you know, if you're just being a contrarian better and that's all of your angle and you're kind of using that as your jumping off point, I'm going to be a contrarian. I want to take a side that no one else wants to take. And then you, from there, look at a matchup and, or look at an injury report and find additional support for an edge. And, you know, you narrow your card down to four or five, let's say, let's say you narrow your card down to five college football plays uh, a week uh, on dogs that no one else wants to back. And there's free points on, you know, there's free points on most of those sides and you go three and two every week and you compile a 60% record, uh, you know, over the course of multiple seasons broadcasting on ESPN, for instance, Uh, you know, it's, it's a compatible story in my mind. I, and you know, so I, I can kind of see where, you know, where this argument emerges from at its root and that, yeah, there are situations and there are sides and there are games where there's going to be a contrarian angle and free points to back a certain team. It was that way with Oakland uh, Raiders last week. There's no way that a fair line in that game was Indy minus three on the road. They're not six points better on the neutral, but uh, you had to you had to incur, you know, some you had to move the line once they made the trade for Cooper. Cooper's not worth it three or four points or whatever the line move was after they made that trade. Ah. (laughs) So I don't know. Any other final thoughts before we talk football, Adam? No, let's uh, get into the NFL, get into the, what were we going to talk today? Uh, Well, it's halfway through the season. It's halfway through the season. And, um, 
Can I reload before we really dive into football here? Of course. I'll I'll crack one with you. Uh, cover for me. One second. Okay. And uh, let's see here. Um, yeah, we're halfway I'll, into the season. Adam's halfway into a six-pack. <laughs> <laughs> He's determined to hit this over by himself. I like it. Um, okay. So I'm going to set up here, and uh, I'm going to frame where we stand in the NFL standings looking at trying to – handicap the horse race that will be playoff positioning in both the AFC and the NFC here. Which are you going, are you, you're going ballast point or what are you going with? Uh, I am drinking ballast point. That's correct. Uh, I got the, uh, <laughs> God I got bless the, um, that place. Oh, it's a bless man. I'm drinking the, uh, the fathom IPA tonight. Uh, that's a, uh, that's a, it's, it's a, uh, it's a little bit different spin on the, the Sculpin is a little bit more hot forward. The fathom is a little bit more complex. I feel like, um, but, uh, good stuff, man. Love, love ballast point. Um, let's, uh, let's talk about the, uh, the, a- the AFC first. Uh, as I look at the two conferences, I'm seeing a pretty clear picture emerging in the AFC in terms of who are, for real contenders who are going to make a playoffs, who are going to make the playoffs and potentially, um, you know, challenge for an AFC title and uh, teams that are packing it in trading assets here at the trade deadline, uh, looking forward to, uh, you know, amassing draft capital and evaluating some of the deeper parts of the, their rosters. Um, I think it's pretty clear that new England is the only contender that's going to make the playoffs from the AFC East. I think it's pretty clear that, uh, that Kansas city, is going to win the AFC West. And I'm going to go ahead and give them the one seed uh, because they have a lot of home games left. They have a lot of winnable games. There's really only a couple of teams on this list, the Chargers and the Rams, who I'm even remotely scared of Kansas City being challenged by. Uh, and I think you can see them finish 14-2, and 13-3. We'll, 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 uh, we'll slot New England in as the number two seed, uh, given that they have probably the easiest schedule of anyone in the NFL remaining. Uh, which is unfair, but they had the easiest schedule to start the season, and that's what you get when you play in a team with three uh, three also runs. Um, should we I mean, should we just stop there? I don't like no disagreements, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. 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 Any, anything you want to challenge so far, Adam? KC one, New England two. That's pretty fair. Those are fair assumptions. Uh, not doing this because I'm like to uh, stir things up and, and make a scene. <laughs> um, I know you don't believe in Kansas City in the playoffs, but you got to think they get a bye, right? Their, if, their schedule isn't tough. It's pretty okay. easy. If the Chargers win this week, and I think they will, um, I will take L.A. The only game that might be troublesome for the Chargers the rest of the way is uh, December 2nd at the Steelers. Uh, I would take them to go into Kansas City late in the year, pull the upset, and potentially run the table or one loss if they get through Seattle this week. Mm. Ooh, so that would okay. require the Chiefs to, well, they have to lose lose two along the way. I mean, the, the Chiefs might not lose two along the way the rest the rest of the season. Uh, they might lose that one against the Chargers uh, late in the year. But if they get stung somewhere else, I think L.A. sneaks the division. Okay. I believe like minus 800 right now for uh... – for the Chiefs to win the West. For the Chiefs to win the West, yeah, it, well, it is I, a. I can see it, but it's a tough road. For, it's a tough. Road, I believe yeah. the Chargers. I mean, getting ahead, Chargers. I think you know they could, they could make some noise in the playoffs, but winning the division will be a uphill battle. I feel and, like you almost. I feel like you almost want to take Chargers money line at the Chiefs December thirteenth, 
instead of backing Chargers to win the AFC West. It, it takes it's, out, it takes it's out a weird areas. spot because it's a weird spot because usually when you get a team that can go on a run like the Chargers are set up to do, um, there's really nothing that can stop it. And you can go, I, I wouldn't take them to win the division only because the schedule that Kansas city faces is sort of equally as poor the rest of the way. And Kansas city might run it out. But if you put like, I think that game on the 13th, that's a, is that a Sunday night or a Monday night? I'm not sure off the top of my head, but it's, it's a Thursday. <laughs> it's a Thursday night week. football. They're doing on making them, forcing them on a short week. That, the rematch I mean, that, that might be. That just adds to it. Uh, Chiefs, you know who the Chiefs play the week prior? I surely do. The Chiefs uh, are coming off a game against the uh, the Black and Blue Ravens. So there, so you get the Ravens. uh, They're at home. They're they're, the the Ravens. The Ravens are at home. uh, The Chiefs are at home for the Ravens on the ninth. They get a short week and then they host the Chargers. Meanwhile, the Chargers are coming off of. Uh, a home game, a quote unquote home game against the Bengals, and they have to travel to Kansas City on a short week to play uh, play the play the Chiefs. Yeah, I mean, you get like a top ten success rate rushing offense in Baltimore, who can clearly take advantage of the Kansas City weakness. If that game gets anything physical, then you get them on the short recovery week. Chargers. I mean, we all know what happens to the Bengals late in the season. Happens every year with Andy Dalton. Yep. The Chargers write them, come up. Write them off. Yep. Chargers at home get a nice little win in and out quickly against the Bengals. Go into Kansas City, face a bang up Chiefs Chiefs team coming off a physical game. That upset can absolutely happen. If there's mm. another loss for Kansas City along the way, I'm not. It would have to happen, but I I wouldn't. I'm not advocating for taking them in the division, but I think that the Chargers are above Kansas City. Okay. Well, all I'm saying is that uh, rather than taking them to win the division, I think you can get pretty they, to win the division. They have to win that game, right. and that money line is probably going to be in pretty bettable territory if you think you know if you if you are so inclined. What's uh, I mean? What's the look ahead there? Oh uh, man, all I have is preseason. Uh, oh, let me. I don't. I don't have the the more recent stuff up. Um, let's but no, talk about the rest of the AFC. Pretty sexy money line. Um, maybe the most interesting, uh, battle kind of comes down to this weekend and maybe we should save some of this talk for this weekend, but I, I think Pittsburgh and uh, Baltimore this weekend are playing for a home playoff game. Uh, true or false, Andy? Probably true. Like I said, I, I agree with the, the Bengals probably tailing off here. The Ravens, boy, everyone talked about the defense and they go and put that kind of performance out. So they need to get that shit right. They need to get Flacco back to where he looked for the first couple of weeks where he looked like uh, he was worried about his job. And I, I think they are a team that can make a, make a run into the, you know, they got Ty Montgomery now. That's uh if that's not moving the line, I don't know what will. <laughs> in yeah, in well, favor that, or against super. <laughs> this might be one of the most important games left on their schedule, even with half the season left. This is yeah. monstrous. If they can get this done, I love them a lot to get the division. Yeah, Baltimore's got some tough ones later on against KC and the Chargers, who we just talked about. Um, so the oh, yeah. uh but I think I, I mean I, I do think whoever wins this, I mean, I think if Baltimore wins this, then they win the AFC North because had both head-to-head wins over Pittsburgh. I think Baltimore will get revenge against both Cleveland and Cincinnati when they play them for a second time. Uh, and I think, uh, Adam, you nailed it. Uh, Cincinnati's going to fade. Andy Dalton, the best chance that they had to make a playoff run was starting out like 6-2 and two or 7-1. and one. 
because we know what happens when you get enough tape on what Andy Dalton is doing. He gets, you know, he regresses uh, as fast as, you know, a rock sinking to the bottom of the ocean. Um, any, uh, any other uh, thoughts really in terms of how the NFC AFC North shapes up? And I guess actually I'll ask you this, Adam, does the loser of Pittsburgh, Baltimore, uh, is that your second wildcard team uh, after Kansas City Chargers? Uh, you can't count out the Jets. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Just once I'd like to – I haven't really had any joy watching them since like 2010, 2011. Um, yeah, I think that that's a pretty fair case to make. Uh, if the Colts secondary wasn't so horrendous – I mean, they're putting up some serious numbers. And I think they're like the one team in the AFC that is playing significantly worse than their numbers suggest that can actually make up that gap and play to that level. Uh, I guess my worry with Indianapolis is just how much time they're going to have, like how much time they're going to burn to get around the corner and get to that level. Uh, One, two in a row now, sort of coming back a little bit. But, I mean, there's potential with Indy – to, to make up they're not going to run to the wild to the wild card I don't it's going to be tight but I mean if if they ever play up to their level they can maybe challenge that's sort of a, an outside one but I think it's probably fair to say uh someone from the AFC North gets that second wild card one more thing on Dalton I don't know uh if you guys have got into it but the dip off in his passer rating month by month as the season goes on I don't have the numbers in front of me but I'm sure anyone listening can go ahead and google uh, that article is, I, I don't remember who wrote it or who brought it. It was maybe an ESPN or Fox sports one, but like the dip off that he faces like September, October, November, December is one of the more fascinating statistics for a quarterback in the NFL that, that I know of. And I don't know if it's like the cold weather gets to his hands or what it is, but it is incredible how he falls off a cliff late in the year. It's uh it's entirely based on his limitations as a passer. Uh, in the, true. <laughs> in, in the, in the off season, if you have a good offensive mind paired with him, they're going to cook up interesting scheme, interesting ways to kind of, you know, disguise, you know, disguise what they're doing. And the more tape that teams get on him, the easier it is for, for defenses to defend him. Uh, it's pretty well documented that the second time you face Andy Dalton, you utterly destroy him. In, in, you know, in division, his his rematch in division, those games are never particularly competitive. Even you know his games against the a lot of that his games second game against the Browns, he's losing. So it's you know it's it's uh it's born mostly out of that, I believe. Um, and I think regression is going to come knocking for Andy Dalton here uh, any week. Uh, unfortunately, we can't fade him this week because he's on by. Um, Last little quick note, AFC South. I agree with you that Indianapolis is live in that one. Uh, I think it was two weeks ago, Andy, we were talking about. I've been breaking this down. I've been going over this (laughs) like the fucking Zabruder film. It's (laughs) such a soft schedule. They can win that division. I uh, you know the the I hate to use an injury as a positive. The Fuller injury helped, but then I'm not I'm not a huge Demarius Thomas at this point in his career guy. Houston, good for them for addressing that need because they are in a a position to win the division despite everything. But the Colts are only two games back and have such a shitty schedule. They, I, if their defense improved just minutely, 
they could run the table because their offense is clicking quite nicely. Their defense obviously looked terrible in the last game. I'm not sure betting on the Colts was the right side, even though we got the win there. Their offense saved our ass there. Marlon Mack is a man-child, and Luck is looking comfortable in the pocket again. He hasn't been sacked in like 150 dropbacks now. So that offensive line is quietly probably one of the best in the league. And, yeah, the Colts, I think it might be a little tough for them to make a run at a wild card based on their slow start. No, they got to win this up. Yeah, the the Chargers and somebody – I'm going to agree with everything there. The Chargers – and somebody in the NFC or AFC North will probably take the two wild cards. It's going to be awful tough for anybody else to sneak in there. But the Colts, that, and I'm sitting on a Colts AFC 105 ticket. So I'd love to get <laughs> them into the little playoffs less, and just start betting against uh, them. Less aggressive on them. I got them 25 to 1 to win the South uh, from a couple weeks ago. And I really wish they had beaten Adams Jets. Uh, if they had gotten that win that day, oh man, that, that we would be. We would be looking at plus 200 or plus 300 for them right now to win the South. Uh, Adam, true or false, the Colts have the best quarterback and the best coach in the AFC South. Um, remember, the Jets aren't in that division. <laughs> <laughs> uh, ooh, that's a that's a good question. I like the I like that uh, if Deshaun Watson can come around and get some sort of consistent support from the ground game. Uh, he's, I mean, are we talking long term or are we talking right now? Yeah, rest of the season. Coach, true quarterback split. One, it's close. One, Watson, one B. Watson's quarterback tough. Watson, one yeah. B. Okay. Okay. Watson has toughed out a nasty lung injury. He sure has. Got to give him some credit on that. And yeah, then he had do. cracked ribs on top of that. So oh yeah, he was all beat up. Fuck, I don't know. Even ride you, airplane. Yeah, I, I couldn't imagine having to deal with both of those and still, I mean, being exposed after every throw. That's if once his health comes around. I mean, five in a row, they've rattled off, and it doesn't really seem like they're getting the attention that they deserve. Well, let's put a pin in Watson right now because uh, he's going to have to tough it out and get on an airplane and fly to denver this week uh but so we'll put a pin on uh, houston for right now i think houston to denver. I've driven to i think denver. i i think it comes down to houston or indy to win the south and i think they get the four seed uh i'm gonna say baltimore gets the three seed pittsburgh gets the six chargers with the five uh so we're looking at chargers heading to the afc Ch- south champion we'll just say it's houston for uh for argument purposes Ooh, chargers head to houston uh and uh a rematch Part three, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, uh, in the uh, uh, in the wild card round, gonna be interesting. I think both uh, your AFC teams at the top, both New England and Kansas City, a little vulnerable in the playoffs. Um, I don't know if I really have high confidence that either of those teams should be priced the way they are to win the AFC. Uh, if you had to look for anyone outside of those two, and first of all, do you agree with that, Adam? And if you had to look for anyone outside of those two, do you think uh, it has value in the AFC? I'm watching New England and like I'm watching the replays, the condensed versions. The last few games they've started doing that thing where there's they need to be show some sign of urgency late. And there's no other team that really does it like the Patriots, but they they like it's an urgent situation. They're like, that's okay, we can go down and score. And like they don't get flustered like no other team does. And they haven't they didn't really do that in a couple first weeks of the season. 
Uh, but since they got Edelman and Gordon in the lineup, it just seems like they can do whatever they want. And there's, it's not like they're even competing. They're sort of just like trying different things to see what works. And you can almost like feel them like preparing for what's coming up later in the season, more so than what they're doing right now. So that's a little bit frightening. Um, mm. But I, I do, I wouldn't count out the Chargers. I, we're sort of quick to concede Kansas City here. I, I think there's a little run in LA coming up. Yeah, I think Chargers or Baltimore goes into Foxborough uh, that uh, wild card round. Uh, I mean, sorry, that divisional round and uh, and make some noise. I think either either of those teams have are, are live dogs in that situation. Uh, and I know you feel like uh, Kansas City's ripe to get upset in that game as well, right? Well, I mean, I don't know how long this. I mean, their offense has been brilliant, and when I criticize them, I'm not taking away from their offense. But someone just needs to go forward and put together a game plan and stay consistent with it for 60 minutes. And, I mean, you can run on that defense all day long. But the problem is that they've – last game was the first time all season they didn't score in their opening drive. They've been able to set the pace in all of these games. Uh, And finally, if somebody can put forth the game plan and run on them and control the game – uh, they're going to face a little bit of adversity. I know against New England, everyone will cite the comeback. I mean, they had the kick return. They had the 80-yard pass. They needed those big plays just to stay competitive with it. But again, like late in the game, New England needed to go down the field and drive and score. They just went on the field and they said, you can't stop us. We can do whatever we want. So it, with that big of a vulnerability, uh, it just takes the one game where things don't go 100% in their favor, and then all of a sudden they're very beatable. Okay. Well said. I, and I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, I guess maybe in the back of my head, I'm pulling for Andy Reid to finally do something awesome. Uh, I have exposure to Kansas city. I don't have anything. I'm not, I'm holding no, uh, no future. No I think Reed, on Reed's one in seven in his last eight playoff games. There's precedent for them to win the division. And I mean, I think that goes back to Philly. I've seen that today. It's, it's not unprecedented for Andy Reid to have a pretty good team uh, and then just lose in the divisional round every for year. Sure. For like, sure. I think they were 12 and four a couple years back when they lost to Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Okay. The Let's Titans, talk about the, the uh, Titans loss was so, I mean, completely was, different yeah. team, but still. It was. That was that was laughable. Uh, let's talk about the <laughs> NFC a little bit. Uh, NFC, much, much more difficult to sort out what is going on behind teams one and two. Uh, we got the Rams and the Saints this week. Uh, I think it's fair to say those are clearly the class of the NFC in some order, one and two. And we'll save a little bit of breaking down uh, of those strengths and weaknesses for when we get to that game. Uh, but uh, if you, you know, I mean, I guess, how do you see the uh, NFC North uh, shaking out Andy? And then I'll ask uh, the same question of Adam. How do you see the NFC East shaking out? Oh, the North, huh? The Bears yeah. were in last place last week, and now they're in first place. It's it's tight, even though it doesn't feel like Detroit is possibly maybe contending. Um, you can never rule out Rodgers. Minnesota's so up and down. The Bears should have more wins than they do. It's it's a mess. I think if Minnesota can get their offense right, they can they can compete. They need to just adapt to the league. You know, so what if we had a good defense last year? To start scoring, Cousins looks good, really, really good at certain points. Tough schedule. I haven't really broke down the schedules. Obviously, I'm rooting for Minnesota and the Bears. They're where I have future liabilities. 
They all have tough schedules. That's right, future action. All all of them. Chicago, Minnesota, and Green Bay all have tough schedules. Yeah, everybody – I mean, they all have similar schedules. They play, you know, the same kind of teams just based on how the schedules work out. So, uh, yeah, I I really think Minnesota has a shot at it just because Green Bay is floundering more than I thought they would. And I I don't know about Detroit sneaking back in, especially – if they're they, they were weird to me this uh this trade deadline they're buying and selling at the same time so you get to see what that and they did they they made cap space and didn't make a move to fill it so mm-hmm. I think well I think that it, I think that probably, actually yeah I think that yeah. opens up a spot this week to fade Detroit to be honest with you because that was oh, kind yeah. of a that that was a comp that was like a, a an organizational deflating uh move shipping uh golden tate i don't know why they did that um adam uh how do you see the nfc East shaking out uh i think it's interesting that we've got to the point where i the majority of people's opinion has completely changed from one side of the spectrum to the other on the chicago bears uh i mean if you think before the season like before the the mac trade uh i don't what was their win total coming into the season? Like six and a half. I wrote about them because yeah, I, I thought that the number was ridiculously low. Um, so I can, I'm glad they're doing as well as they are, but they've played one game in the division. That was the early yeah. week game uh, against the Packers where they, whatever happened on Monday night, that was a ridiculous game. Uh, but then they have, they go Lions, Vikings, Lions, Packers, Vikings in the last I mean, they only have three games out of the division the rest of the way. They face a pretty easy slate of opposing uh, defenses. Lions 30th, Vikings 20th, Packers 22nd. So, I mean, there's not a a huge uh, challenge there. But I think from like a a market and a betting perspective, you have to think that they're going to be, if not already, they're going to be pretty overpriced the rest of the way. Uh, The last two games, they've sort of, I guess flattened out sort of that hype around them has, has dipped away, but I, I just see them sort of finishing around the eight win mark. I think once it gets within the division, things tighten up a little bit, they're going to be challenged, uh, especially on offense. It's not like even on defense uh, as much hype as they've earned the great at getting to the quarterback, but like they're not grading super high or, or rating out in any of like the important metrics uh, outside of the pass mm-hmm. rush, especially in the secondary. So they're vulnerable there. Uh, but I think Andy's onto something there with the Vikings. Uh, that passing offense is scary. And for whatever, I mean, they, they abandoned it against the Saints, unfortunately. I think they that sort of made that game a little bit worse than it was. But I, I think the Vikings can can sneak this out. I definitely take them over Green Bay uh, the rest of the way. And I just, I think the Bears are getting overpriced and they're going to flutter out towards the end of the season. Hmm. Too early, too early to call for me in the NFC North. Uh, Adam, Adam is Adam brought up. Adam brought up a yeah. good point there too about the divisional games yet to be played for the Bears. There are a ton of teams like that, and that's why maybe we're idiots for sitting here trying to predict things. Because, no, 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 um, no, no, it's like I said when, when I looked at the Colts, the Colts um, schedule just popping back to them for a sec. They have five out of six divisional games left. The Bears have, like you said. What was it? Five out of six divisional five games. More to go. Yeah. There's, there's so many teams that have so many divisional games left. It makes it really difficult because those are the highest leverage games you have. And oh, yeah. to have, you know, what is it? You know, it's 80% of them left. That's, that's, uh, that makes it really tricky to predict. Yeah. No, I, but, but I think uh, we're yeah, doing, those I are going to be, those are going to be so important. 
I think we're doing fair. I think we're doing fair service to, uh, you know, the NFC North is wide open. And all of these, you know, all all of these teams, okay, they go through cycles. Green Bay is in schedule hell now. It it continues for another four weeks. Minnesota is going to be in schedule hell pretty soon. Uh, Although Minnesota, a lot of their really tough stuff is behind them. Minnesota is behind, they've already played Philly. They've already played the Rams. They've already played the Saints. That's three huge, huge ones that are behind them. Uh, Chicago's going to schedule hell soon. Uh, relatively, uh, relative to how it's been. So, you know, I think of these three teams, Minnesota has the easiest path relatively, uh, but you're right. There's lots of high leverage games and I think it's too early to call in the NFC North and you're going to have to keep an eye on Green Bay because Aaron Rodgers is like, he's anti uh, Andy Dalton. Like the deeper you go into the season, the better he plays. And he's still the best quarterback in the NFL for my money. And uh, uh, I'm expecting once they get through this uh, brutal run here, when they have some home games in December in Wisconsin, uh, that they're not going to be out of the picture by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, NFC East, um, potentially some value on Philly right now. If, uh, if you're a believer in them getting healthy and uh, coming back and taking on the fraud question mark Redskins, Adam? 100%. I, I, that's like <laughs> full stop. Uh, I, it's a, it's a top five team in the NFL potential that's being treated like a middle of the pack, um, team. They haven't, uh, outside of like the week one game, they haven't got a ton of exposure, uh, sort of been in the shadows a little bit of the teams dominating in the NFC. Uh, I think it sets up extremely well, both sides on the line of scrimmage. They're, they're in the top five. Uh, this defense overall, if it comes together, I mean, I can see them finishing the season as it is right now. They're sitting like top 10 uh, right around there for the passing and rushing success rate. But I think they can finish the, the end of the year in the top five. Washington is as good of a, a run as they've had the last three weeks here, rattling off a few wins in a row. Um, there's really nothing aside from the performance of the secondary that really jumps out to me that, that says this is sustainable throughout the end of the year. Uh, I think that there's definite value on the Eagles. Okay. I like this. Uh, we all, we kind of agree. Uh, last question. And then, uh, and then <laughs> let's get into the games. Uh, what do you make of the Panthers? What the hell do we do with these guys? Uh, they're running a more innovative offense than I ever expected. Uh, I did not expect to see them do what they did uh, to the Ravens. I'm still scratching my head a little bit about that game. And I kind of am, I'm interested in pinning that on the Ravens being, road fifth road game in seven weeks uh and they just it, the cumulative fatigue finally caught them um but uh our you know carolina still has you know cam newton here uh he is playing you know men's he's a, he's a man in a boys league you know it's it's crazy he puts up you know 300 yards passing and 50 yards rushing week in week out here um and you know credit to north turner uh, we were criticals of him in the preseason and he has run a very sophisticated attack uh, is Carolina to be taken seriously, Adam? I it, it's a really tough team for me to to make a judgment on. I've I've I haven't been big on the Panthers the last two seasons. I certainly was not big on them coming into the season. I think from from a defensive perspective, they've played uh, a bottom ten schedule of opponents in offensive efficiency, and and they're grading out. They're twenty third against the pass and they're 25th against the rush. So going forward, they're going to play a top 10 schedule in opposing offenses to finish finish the season. 
So we may see things sort of come back down to earth. Um, looking at the rest of their schedule, I, I don't know. I do have it in front of me, actually. Um, there's a couple tough matchups. If they finish Saints, Falcons, Saints, which they always seem to stack these NFC South games at the end of the season. Um, and then have to go on the road uh, at Detroit as well. So that's going to be a tough game for them to deal with. And then they also have to go on the road to face the Steelers. So, I mean, you're playing some pretty explosive offensive coming down. And, like, their defense, I think people are sort of grading it as performing well. Uh, but when you look at the teams that they faced, it just doesn't really add up. The story doesn't come together. Uh, so I, I'm not big on them the rest of the way. Uh, I think you can write off the Falcons and the Bucks. Maybe the Falcons still have some life left. Um, but it's tough to look at anyone but the Saints in the division. Yeah, Falcons have played too many of their home games already to come back, in my opinion. Uh, they got too much out of that dome uh, left to be played, and they're going to struggle in some spots, I think. Let's dive into the week. Uh, this will be real quick. Uh, Oakland, San Francisco. Uh, can we just cancel these team seasons? Uh, I want nothing to do with uh, anything in this game. I wanted the over so bad until the news trickled out about beat hard, uh, having a bum, bum wing. Uh, it looks like they're going to try to force them out there. Uh, and you're going to have, you know, just a super conservative game plan here, which, you know, helps. Oakland, ironically, because if you were to go play aggressive against this defense, eventually they fall apart. Um, Oakland's quit. Uh, I, you know, it's there's really no solid case to be made for a side or a total in this one. So I think this is a pretty easy skip. Andy, are you skipping or do you? Yeah, feel, the uncertainty of the quarterback thing. It just, I hate uncertainty, especially at the quarterback. It makes it really tough to handicap. If we had any semblance of, you know, like Beat Hard's healthy and he can play. It might be an over game, but yeah, these are two teams that probably should start thinking about losing games and getting yep. a good draft pick. I, my heart goes out to 49ers fans. All yeah, the hope, all the hope sideways. in the world before the season, it went sideways in a hurry. It sucks. Next year. Uh, Adam, uh, can you say anything positive about uh, John Gruden? Does he, has, he, he's, has he shown an iota of evidence that he knows what he's doing? I, I think he's... I don't want to say confused. I'm just, I don't understand what he's trying to do. I think now if he was going to make all of these moves, I mean, make them before the season. Uh, I'm not sure what sort of driving the team into the ground these first seven weeks has really brought on Um, the (laughs) offense. I mean, the offense, it like from the passing side, it's producing numbers, but the numbers are pretty meaningless when, when they're going for such a low average per attempt, like it's just, ugly and it's sort of a mix of I, I, he's, I just feel like he's lost in trying to figure things out it's such a different league from from what he was used to what was it 10-12 years ago um, I, I don't know there's it, it's, I don't have anything to say about the team that's positive um, but maybe <laughs> maybe he can get rid of enough players start over and build this up into something the way he wants to do it but I think just to move you start the oldest roster to begin the season and then you just start firing all the pieces away uh, as things crumble down. Like, I don't know what he expected. This is on him. So, uh, eat it. Glad I'm not a Raiders fan. Yeah, for real. Uh, let's, uh, let's move to the Sunday card. Uh, the first on the rotation, 451. Uh, two teams that need to bounce back from tough losses. Uh, edge to Minnesota, who is home. Uh, Detroit, uh, one of these uh, 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 NFC North clashes we were just talking about. Um, Detroit comes in 
potentially deflated. I think you're going to see a motivational effect of the fact that they traded away a guy who was as, um, you know, as important to the offense as Golden Tate and uh, a leader on that offense in general. I feel like uh, maybe this is, they're turning it over to, this is truly Stafford's team now. He's now one of the more senior guys here. He still has weapons in Marvin Jones and Galladay, but a lot of their attack and what was dynamic about their attack was trotting out three and four wide receivers, and now you don't have tape. Um, so I think this presents a, a nice opportunity to back the Minnesota Vikings, who perform well against lesser teams, uh, and uh, whose defense should be getting some of these pieces back. Andy, are you going to be with me uh, looking for Minnesota to bounce back here? Yeah, I guess we should have grabbed – I guess it opened and came down a little, but uh, four and a half, five, I guess what's well, not a big difference here. This is something I'm looking at, especially at home. Stafford, I want to look into this a little. I think Stafford might have some Big Ben-esque home road splits, and I want to dig deeper into that. But, yeah, this is a good bounce-back spot for Minnesota. Detroit maybe a little let down, losing a guy that they liked up there and – it's not, and then, to be fair, it's not like they don't have good receivers. Jones and uh, Jones and Galladay are tough, so especially with Minnesota's defense looking the way it has, so possibly an over here too. Interesting. Which, uh, uh, I guess if I'm going to get get in bed with Detroit on an over again, overs looking at uh, it's been bet down to 49 and a half from the opener at 50. No, I love that. Uh, any. Uh, is it stupid to put a wager in on Minnesota without knowing about the health of Sendejo and Rhodes, Adam? Well, I've been sort of critical of this defense the last few weeks, but I mean, you you have this sort of perception that's carried along with the team since their performance last season, and it's built up uh, through this season. But at the end of the day, when you look at the schedule that they faced, uh, they faced three teams with an offensive efficiency better than 20th in the NFL. They gave up 29 points to the Packers, who were number six. They gave up 38 <laughs> points to the Rams, who were rated number one that week. And then they gave up 30 points last week to the Saints. So when you're playing teams like San Francisco, Buffalo, uh, Philadelphia with all their injuries, Arizona, the Jets game was a complete fluke. I don't know what happened there to the Jets, but um, <laughs> but I mean you play those you play those five opponents and it sort of pads these numbers. But then when you look a little bit deeper, you see that this there's something not right with this defense. Um, but uh, on top of that, even more concerning was last week uh, the game plan that was put forth. And I tweeted it, and then I quickly deleted it because I was like, I don't want to have this look the wrong way. But the, everything that they had to throw at the Saints, they burned it in like the first quarter and a half. And then after that point, they did. They looked lost. They abandoned the pass. Uh, That's such a good point. Around. But they they used five or six different rushers in the first half to try go after the Saints and stay balanced because at the, they're the second highest passing rate team in the league, throwing the ball 68% of the time. So they said, we're going to do whatever we can to show some resemblance of a ground game to, so New Orleans can't chase uh, and sell out on the pass rush against us. And they used five different running backs in the first half or different uh, ways of running the football, short passes, anything like that. Then they had the flea flicker. They burned a couple plays on fourth down, and it got to the second half, and they were shot. And yeah. so, and not only am I concerned about the defense, but this game planning aspect last year, they went out and they just dominated start to finish and they were in complete control, but now it looks like they're just trying to find something that sticks and they look a little bit lost, which is concerning to me. You add that with the defense. I think that's why this line is moving down. It's a pretty surprising move. 
Um, but I think that there's some merit to it. I'm certainly probably not going to find myself on the Lions, but I'm a little bit concerned uh, about Minnesota in this specific matchup. They've got to figure things out. Okay. Well, this is a hundred percent motivational spot for me to back Minnesota at home. Uh, I think they get the job done against the Detroit Lions who are going to be a little lacking in the motivation after trading Golden Tate. Um, let's talk about uh, Casey heading to Cleveland uh, and another potential motivational mismatch here. Cleveland firing uh, Hugh Jackson and Todd Haley this week at long freaking last firing Hugh Jackson. It's kind of an indictment of uh, John Dorsey that he even brought let Hugh Jackson coach, uh, you know, the first seven games, six, seven, eight games of the season this year and uh, and let these guys develop Baker Mayfield in a very young part of his career. Uh, now Baker Mayfield is going to be given the uh, – the, um, uh, running backs coach as his offensive coordinator column plays the the detestable Greg Williams is taking oh. over as head coach. Uh, Greg, Greg was an awful defensive coordinator, <laughs> just the worst. Uh, and uh, yeah, so good job on you Browns by forcing this uh, mess of a coaching staff into another season. Uh, and uh, yeah, they'll they'll be better next year, but I don't expect them to be particularly competitive in this game. Uh, meanwhile, you got Casey on the road. Uh, we know that they have the ability to play keep away if they can get a lead. Uh, and I think the under in this one is laughably high. I am way, way, way into this under, uh, right off the opener. I've put more in as it's gotten, uh, as the limits have gone up a little bit. And, uh, I think that this one lands in the low forties and Cleveland could score, I don't know, 13 points, maybe less. Um, is, am I talking myself into a position that I'm going to regret Andy? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) You think Kansas city can really score 52 points? I, I don't think the Browns offense is that bad. I think it's just that coaching was that awful. Mm. I mean, what do you think the, what, what's a reasonable number for KC to put up here? 35. So, uh, okay. 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 Casey, and I do love Cleveland's defense, but no, okay. I, great, great, Cleveland great question. No, this Cleveland is a great question. This is a great question. I think, th- I think you're talking about low 30s for Casey. I think you're talking about 30, 31. Uh, I don't think uh, that they're going to have their foot on the gas for 60 minutes of this. Uh, and I, I think that uh, I, is, I, I agree with you that can Cleveland not a, is not a bad offense, but their offensive line is questionable. They're going to be susceptible to Kansas City's pass rush. Kansas City's got a couple yeah. of nice pass rushing, rushing pieces. And Kansas City's pass defense is not bad. As Adam pointed out, and we were kind of breaking down the strengths of these teams, Kansas City's, you beat them by pushing them off the ball, by beating them up, by running it down their throat. Uh, we, New England gave us the template for that. And, uh, it, you know, that any team that can execute that same style is going to be a live dog against against the uh, these Chiefs. But I don't see that Cleveland can attack that way. Cleveland may run out of conservative game plan anyway, uh, try to shorten the game a little bit, play keep away from Kansas City. But uh, I, you know, yeah. I just I mean, I that can't only see works. any world where this doesn't end like 31-13. I think that I think I'm capping this like 31-13, 31-16, something like that. I, I'm not anywhere close to 52 points. No, I, I feel what you're saying there, but it just – Man, Kansas City can score forty by accident. <laughs> just they're, they have, their true. players are too fast sometimes. Like if, it can get away from you, and then when you're up by four or five scores, the garbage touchdowns start pouring in. It's not a position I like. I wish it were a little higher, but I, I get you're making good points. It's just not something I'm going to get involved with. 
Any uh, any motivational angle here for Can- for uh, for Cleveland after firing Hugh Jackson, Adam? Well, once upon a time, the fired head coach angle was super valuable to jump in on the market, especially when the coordinator went with them. That was sort of like the double. Uh, that was like <laughs> that was like right around when I really started betting. So, like, we're looking back like eight to ten years now. Um, now, I, going back the last twenty five coach firings, uh, I against the spread has been 13 and 12. So the market's clearly caught up in that regard. Uh, that angle's really not there anymore. Uh, things have changed in sort of how teams can practice during the week as well. So any sort of bump that teams used to get, especially from a market perspective, uh, clearly not there. This number as it stands is awfully large. Um, if you flipped it around, I mean, you look at Kansas City, maybe like 17, and it's yeah, and it's probably it warranted only because I don't know if Cleveland can go ahead and ta- attack this Kansas City defense how they need to in order c- to control the game. Um, from the total perspective, if this game's going to go over, the Cleveland Browns are going to need their receivers to catch balls. They have the highest drop rate in the NFL at the moment. Uh, they're also going to need them to extend drives, which is another spot where they really struggle as well. Um if Kansas City does uh, sort of take control of this game, which I would expect them to do, they can probably uh, go ahead and attack the, the Cleveland defense pretty well any way they want. Um, not sure it's going to be uh, as explosive as other games we've seen in the past. Cleveland pretty good at preventing uh, explosive pass plays. Uh, so far, they're second in the season in that regard. So Kansas City is probably going to get a lot of their huge plays on the ground uh if that's where they're going to come from sort of promotes the clock to keep on moving i'm i'm staying away from this one but uh if this was a few years ago the market would have been significantly different there would have been an angle but it's just an example of how uh things get caught up uh from a betting perspective i like and i like the fired coach angle but i like it way more out of the buy I really don't know That's how sure. you. I really don't know how you get an offense together if you when you fired Hugh Jackson and Todd Haley uh, and put promote a running backs coach to now execute an offense in today's NFL. Good luck, guys. I, you yeah, know, it's, it's, it's not like Greg Williams is going to be that guy long term anyway. So it's just sort of a exactly. place until they find. So it's not like he has a ton to prove in this spot. Where other times there's sort of that guy coming in who has the potential to sort of step up, prove something and escalate his possession. But I don't see Greg Williams being the coach. Andy, I got a key question for you on this one. Then let's move on. Uh, if you're Andy Reed, do you consider benching Pat Mahomes for this game? Oh, we did bring this up before. <laughs> Greg Williams is a dirty motherfucker and he will, he will come after that ACL. He has said, I mean, there's quotes of him saying that about quarterbacks. Like you gotta, he's going to hit that ACL from the side and take it out. So yeah, if, if I'm, if I have Pat Mahomes in fantasy, I'm worried about him, you know, being out for the year after this game. We said, what did we say that on the, on the Periscope? Periscope, Like, yeah, yeah, if if you like somebody else for uh, MVP, take him now because this might be the end of the road. <laughs> no, I, I think you do have to worry about a little, but uh, you have to worry about that on every play. Hopefully Greg, he learned his lesson. He's not out bountying guys. Well, yeah, but and he's, you know, to the degree he's trying to, you know, get a job somewhere else out of this or prove oh, yeah. that he should keep or the job. Keep he's going to try to keep the defense super fired up. I feel like that plays into the under as well. Um, I think they're going to try to get it done with defense. I think they're going to try to shorten the game. And I think sounds this like over pursuit to me. I think this is a no sweat under. Get out of here. Uh, right. Let's talk about let's talk about the Pittsburgh Black Baltimore. and blue division. Black and blue. Uh, hey, I'm not sure if you knew this, uh, Adam, but uh, 
there is no love lost uh, between these teams. Uh, turns out Pittsburgh and Baltimore uh, don't like each other very much. Uh, we saw Pittsburgh play a pretty inspired game at home, getting revenge against Cleveland last week. Maybe my best call of the week was Pittsburgh laying the points there. That was never really that sweaty after uh, the second quarter. They get that touchdown. Um, and uh, Pittsburgh coming in a little hot. Uh, they went from looking like their season was off the rails to now being in first place in the AFC North. Amazingly. Uh, and uh, they can exact a little revenge here uh, against Baltimore after exacting revenge against Cleveland last week. They get another shot to, to right the ship here. And um, yeah, they're on a roll beating up NFC, AFC North teams. Wins against the Bengals, wins against the Browns. Do they complete the sweep and beat the Ravens, Adam? This is sort of like the default set it at three no matter what the circumstance it's just sort of like become the given line for these situations I yeah think you throw out the records and yeah. you set it at home team minus three it's like the it's like when the eagles used to play the giants on like a monday night for their or the or the cowboys against the eagles it's like ah, i was just set it at three and then it just takes care of itself it's sort of one of the easier markets to open and set just because it can't really go too far away from that um Probably going to be a huge liability if your bookmaker comes Sunday uh, dealing with bets coming in on Pittsburgh. Uh, sort of difficult to make a case for Baltimore uh, for most people. Um, I don't know if they're nearly as good as these numbers suggest they are in defense. I like what they have um, around, but it's it's a little bit – it's difficult for me to rate them number one as some of the numbers suggest. Um, they certainly – have looked like a lot worse the last two weeks. Uh, I think they've sort of got opened up a little bit. Uh, Pittsburgh, the six and a half yards per play or better the last three weeks. They seem to really be coming into it. I think uh, Baltimore is going to be vulnerable on the ground here. So if Pittsburgh's going to have success, it's going to come from running the ball to really open things up. I have absolutely no opinion one way or another on this game. I'm not going to get involved. Uh, stay away from me. Interesting. Uh, I can't wait to get involved in this one, and I'm not sure exactly how. <laughs> I just know I'm going to watch every minute of it, and I'm going to have a bet on it. Uh, I've been looking at the – I've been eyeing the under. I've been eyeing the Pittsburgh money line. I think the fact that Pittsburgh is kind of uh, correcting things on the defensive end is worth noting. Um, and I think the fact that Baltimore looks like they're a real, little tired and Flacco is starting to show some cracks is also worth noting. Um, do you think I am underselling Baltimore here, Andy? Oh yeah, I'm I'm with Adam. This is a stay away and just see what happens. Cheer for cheer for Baltimore. And the line feels about right. The total feels about right. It's like we talked about with round one of these two teams. Like usually this total is a lot lower, but it's such is life in today's NFL. I guess the angle, the big ban away from home, a little shitty could be played into here, and maybe a bounce back spot for Baltimore. But nothing I'm gonna. Nothing I'm going to get too excited about. I did. Well, I was I was kind of with you. I, I took Pittsburgh last week uh, in a teaser, which was even less sweaty. <laughs> yes, that's a good point. Uh, well, let me ask you though: uh, if I have Baltimore Ravens win the AFC North at plus four fifty, and which, if I have uh, and if I have field, <laughs> if I have field over the Steelers at uh, I'm looking for my price here because I know I have it. Uh, field over Steelers at plus one seventy five. Uh, do am I compelled to make a Steelers money line play here? Maybe and maybe you are. That's not a bad point as far as 
hedging a little future liability off. That's not a bad idea. Um, the other angle, and then just one final note on that, Roethlisberger did break a finger, which non-throwing yeah, he's on hand. The, he's on the injury report, yeah. yeah I saw it's that. Not, not throwing hand, but I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what they do if they put something big on that. It could make handing off a little different, or if he has to tuck the ball down and get a couple hands on it. So uh, it would be interesting to see how that plays into things. I want to see what he's okay. wearing up. Well, the uh, the Ravens sustained a little bit of a cluster injury on their O line. Pittsburgh's yeah. pass rush is looking pretty frisky. They look they can kind of control the tempo of that game even more than Pittsburgh's offense did against the Browns last week. Um, Pittsburgh's defense is playing more physical. I feel like they lost their edge. They lost their 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 interest in being physical after the Shazier injury last year, and it looks like that kind of those wounds have healed, and they're playing a lot more like kind of standard typical you know, smash mouth defense. The emergence of Connor has been pretty amazing for the running back position for Pittsburgh. And um, obviously, you know, Juju Smith-Schuster and Antonio Brown continue to catch everything thrown anywhere near them. So Roethlisberger has not looked particularly good, has not looked accurate, but they are still moving the ball and they are still scoring at will. And uh, I'm going to probably play the Pittsburgh money line here. Um, but I like the under two. Under 47 and a half looks like a decent look. I think you can see the scoreboard flip. It was like 26-14 in game one. I think this could be 26-14 in favor of Pittsburgh. Um, and uh, I think uh, I'll take it from there. Um, another divisional matchup. Fitzmagic heads to Carolina to take on the white-hot Cam Newton Carolina Panthers. Uh, they line this one. Carolina minus seven on the open. It's still sitting there. Some places at six and a half at, at a more favorable juice. Uh, this total opened at 54. My initial lean was... They can't set a total high enough in an NFC South matchup. Uh, these teams know each other well. They know how to attack each other well. If Fitzpatrick plays remotely uh, like we saw him play in weeks one and two and three this season, I think that uh, Tampa Bay can get well into the mid-20s to low-30s, at which point it's up to Carolina to get this thing over the total. Um, over in this one is my look. I think, I don't think I can trust the Tampa Bay defense not to fold and quit if they get down, uh, if they get down by more than, you know, uh, 10 points here, uh, Tampa Bay look like it might make it onto your card, Adam. Uh, I was thinking about this as I knew it was coming up. Uh, I was listening to Andy and I was going, Oh, I didn't have, I don't have anything on this game at the moment, but I was looking at it and thinking about it. Um, and I think I'm going to talk myself here when I say it out loud into potentially backing the over um, Tampa Bay uh, with Fitzpatrick. We all know the explosive plays that they can produce uh, relying on their receivers. Carolina, the fifth gives up the fifth most uh, explosive pass plays. So I think Tampa Bay can have success moving the ball. Uh, but then last week, what Mixon did against the Tampa Bay defense was sort of the, I don't want to say blueprint because I think that's kind of cheesy, but it sort of uh, shows exactly how to attack this Tampa Bay defense, how to have success. And Carolina has a significantly better version of Joe Mixon and Christian McCaffrey, uh, who I think is going to have a huge day. So I think that that's going to be vital for Carolina moving the ball. I think both offenses have a ton of success. The, the offense for Tampa Bay just rallies around Fitzpatrick. And I don't, I mean, the benching was was a little bit unfortunate that it came really near. I would have liked to see how he sort of continued to progress. That was a really bad spot when he was benched against Pittsburgh. Um, but it's just a completely different game with him in over Winston. Um, so I think that both offenses come out 
have some success. And I'm looking at that total. It hasn't moved yet, but I, I don't know how it doesn't like, go up to 55 and a half, 56. Uh, by I the completely time agree comes. with you. So I think this one might be a touch low now that I say it out loud. Yeah, I mean, uh, you don't have to look. I mean, and granted, a lot of these games have been played in a dome, so you have to take that with a grain of salt. But I want to say that the average score of an NFC South tilt this season uh, is about seventy-five points. <laughs> Andy, how do you go? How are you getting after this? Tampa Bay team total over twenty-four-ish. If you Ooh. give me a twenty-three, I'm going to hammer it. Yeah. I I tend to agree with everything. Ooh, I like that angle. But yeah, yeah good, luck. That coming. good luck stopping the Fitz magic. He's back. He's also, he's good for about <laughs> two, two, two and a half games. And then he'll peter off. We got to Fitz magic. is like a heartbeat. He, he's up and down. You just got to time it right. I, I like you guys' look in the over. I tend to agree there too. But, yeah, the the implied team totals, maybe 23 and a half, 24 right now. I don't see I don't see them not getting there because they just they slang it. And I will they also be cheering. It. I have some McCaffrey. McCaffrey needs like 200, maybe 200 more yards to hit his season rushing total. So I'll be cheering for a big game from him too. I dig that. I did get on that at like 625 for the year. He's over 400 already. We've seen the last of uh, James Winston, right, Andy? Yeah, man. I, I thought he might have got traded today. That was, uh, I, he just kind of lost the trust of the team. It looked like, man, he, he really, I kind of made a joke about this. Maybe, I don't know, in a DM or something. If you want to properly defend a receiver against James Winston, you need to go stand 10 yards behind him. <laughs> because he just continually has guys open. They'll get behind the linebacker. They'll be in that in that seam, in that zone, in between the zone, and he'll overthrow it, and the safety will be standing 10 yards behind him and just, just put his arms out and catch the ball. All those interceptions were so trash. Yeah. He just, he just hit, his accuracy was atrocious. Yeah, he deserved to be benched, and it's, uh, Tampa Bay is in win-now mode, so... We'll see how that goes. <laughs> they do have they do have some pretty good receivers. Yeah, no one can afford to take on Winston though, because if you take him on and you play him and he gets hurt, then you are all of a sudden in a very difficult situation in terms of uh, how to deal with his fifth year. Um, let's uh, let's talk about it. Was like 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 how Blake Bortles got the surgery last year and then compelled the Jags to sign him. Uh, it was, uh, it's that sort of situation with, the with, uh, Winston right now. So I doubt, I doubt we see him play again. Um, action talk- alert. We had a surprise onside kick in the third quarter. Action is insanity. Um, let's talk about your, uh, your jets, Adam, uh, Sam Darnold, uh, is another, uh, another road dog that I'm lining up a money line play on. Uh, I, believe they exact some revenge against Miami. I know we see undecided uh, right now slated as the Miami quarterback. I'm expecting them to start uh, a beaten Tannehill. Uh, I'm except, expecting to see a pretty limited game plan from the likes of uh, of the uh, uh, of the Dolphins. But the um, the end of the you know the, the the Jets defense I feel like is playing significantly better as they get their got some of their healthy pieces back and on the other side of the ball the Miami defense quit they quit against the Texans 
They weren't pursuing. They weren't, you know, the guys at multiple levels, once the ball was by them, they were calling it quits. It was like telltale. They are done. Uh, and I think that that is the difference in this game. And the Jets look a little bit more competent than they did against the Bears last week and uh, get themselves uh, to 500, right? This all aboard the, the Jets, Jets four train. Four. Yeah. Yeah, all aboard the Jets train. Uh, Jets going to get a win this week, Adam, or am I crazy? Well, I mean, what more can you say about the best team in the NFL? Uh, I mean, <laughs> you could talk about this team for days. I, I'll, I mean, I'm not going to disagree with you. Uh, if if I agree with you, I'm probably going to sound biased. Um, the, here's the thing that really ticks me off with the Jets at the moment, and I watch them every week, sometimes smiling, sometimes not so much. Um, it drives me insane that every coach in the NFL – uh, when they show them on the sidelines, they're doing something. They're they're yelling at a player. They've got the play sheet in front of their mouth. They're, they're just doing something. And every time they show goddamn Todd Bowles on the sideline, he is standing there looking like he's the most disinterested person in the world, uh, never talking to anyone, never engaging with any of the players. He's just fucking there. And it drives me insane because this defense – despite having these injuries that they've been going through, especially in the secondary, uh, like Adams and May are incredible at their position for who they are. Then you have Darren Lee, who's grading out as one of the better linebackers in the league, uh, Claiborne and Roberts on either side. Uh, if Trumaine Johnson can ever get back healthy, I mean, Buster Screen, who's been one of the best defensive standouts for the team in a while, is grading out as the worst player on the defense through eight weeks, which is I mean, incredible because his upside is always there. So, I mean, this defensive unit could really be elite, and their schedule certainly softens up. Uh, starts this week with the Dolphins where it really eases off. Uh, maybe a week where they can finally get pressure on a quarterback. Um, definitely attackable at the guards, uh, the Dolphins are. So I think that if the Jets can sort of supplement what they can do in coverage and what they can do in run defense by just getting a little bit of pressure, uh, this could bode well for them, uh, bode well for your bet as well. Offensively, I'm a little bit concerned about what they're going through at center. Uh, Jonathan Harrison going to be uh, snapping the ball. He's played 54 snaps all season. Uh, they got a banged up uh, at left guard as well. So that's a little bit concerning. I don't think Darnold has been bad. Um, he's had to deal with losing his favorite target. Uh, Quincy Nunwa probably going to be out again as well. Uh, mm -hmm. Looking for sort of another receiver to, to emerge. Robbie Anderson banged up. So there's like the guy that takes the lid off of the opposing defenses. Uh, there's there's something here with this team, um, but it's just it's just the leadership of it is driving me nuts because it's coming so much from on the field and they just don't have that support from the coach, which is unfortunate because there could be something here. Um, on the road at Miami, um, I don't have the weather in front of me, but that's been a big thing all year. Uh, the heat in Miami has absolutely murdered opposing teams coming in, much more than it has on seasons past. I don't know if it's specifically specifically, specifically hot. That's a lot to say uh, when you're on a bit <laughs> of a rant about your favorite team. Um, I love that city. Every time I'm there, I think the heat is great, but I sure wouldn't want to be dealing in that heat with pads. Uh, but you just look at some of the opponents who have come into Miami this season, and they've got absolutely worn down in the second half. Uh, so if you have a team like the Jets who's struggling to stay motivated, uh, they're really going to have to step up and put forth a good performance to last the full 60 minutes uh, in the heat Miami if it's anything like it has been the last few weeks. So that's something to watch out for. But 
hopefully they get the win here uh, and stay at least close to 500 and stay competitive the rest of the season because this team, we're, there's something here. A couple notes for you. We're looking at humid and partly cloudy, 80 degrees. Wind could be around 11 miles an hour. Uh, and, uh, you know, you don't want to play an 80, you know, it's preferred to be like around 60, but, uh, it still is not like excessively hot. Um, note about Todd Bowles is Todd Bowles from the, uh, Jim Caldwell co- coaching tree. <laughs> Sounds like it the way you describe them. <laughs> it's just, it's sick. Like every time <laughs> you don't see him smile, you don't see him talk. Like the only place you see him smile, uh, is if you go to Google images, you search Todd Bowles smile. Yeah, otherwise you don't see it. Like there's just zero emotion coming out of him, and it, and I just can't help but wonder if there was a competent head coach in the terms of leadership that could guide this team to where it needs to be. Uh, there's so much potential. Uh, what record does do the Jets finish with, and do they fire Bowles because of that record? I I hope they finish uh, eleven and five, and they fire him regardless. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Let's see. The um, rest of the way, uh, their schedule gets significantly easier. They're sitting three and five right now. Uh, so they go on the road to face the Dolphins. going to be tough. They're going to get a win against the Jets. So that's four wins. They're going to yeah, beat, beat the Bills. Patriots They'll beat the Bills. Yeah. 30. So that's another yeah. win against the Pats at home. That one's pretty easy. <laughs> um, yeah. They only got to play the Pats twice. Yeah. Your schedule gets way easy. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's, so, I mean, the two games <laughs> against the Patriots are obviously going to be tough. So that probably puts them in seven losses. Uh, they got two against the Bills. So we can chalk those up at wins. So they're five and seven. They're probably going to be right around the pick them at home to the Texans. So I'm going to, I'm going to give him that one, even though I don't truly believe it. Uh, best case scenario, nine wins, eight wins, nine wins. Um, if they can sneak one against the Patriots, they get to nine. Uh, that one against the Titans, probably going to be a similar spread to what we see here. Maybe Titans three and a half um, against the Packers. Packers don't have anyone efficient quarterback. So it's no problem for the Jets to shut that out. Um, <laughs> going to be trouble. So, I mean, I'm looking at three to four losses more. So, I mean, eight and eight. I'd be happy with eight. Um, unfortunately, that's not going to get Bulls fired. Probably. Um, so, I mean. No, malarkey, got, malarkey got fired last year and he won a playoff game. So, you never know. I, my fingers are crossed. Okay. Well, uh, Andy, you got anything on uh, you got any thoughts on Jets Dolphins or is this a stay away? Because I lean, stay away. I lean Jets, but boy, it's tough backing a team going down into that Miami Heat, especially the young young quarterback. It's it's not something I'm going to get involved at. I I can't help myself. I I want nothing to do. Well, I know you. This Miami defense. in your car. This, this just, Miami deep. This Miami defense has quit. This Miami defense quit. I don't care. It's they're not. You know, people you can say, oh, they're going to get up and motivated for for a divisional game. No, no, they were on prime time and they quit. This 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 team's uh, is done. Um, let's talk about Atlanta and Washington. Interesting spot. Uh, if you're contrarian here, opening up to back Atlanta, um, opened up at minus two and a half in favor of the five and two Redskins uh, hosting the three and four Falcons. Falcons are taking money. It's been bet down to minus one. Um, Falcons coming off a buy. Uh, situationally, that's not bad. Although Falcons are playing on grass. Situationally, that's not good. Um, I will say I have an angle on this one, but I don't want to spoil it. Uh, Andy, are you going to back a side or total in Washington, D.C.? Man, I wish they had a better pitch. Should we call it a pitch, soccer pitch, after seeing yeah, right, the NFL right, game? Right, but right, right. I, I really want to start fading Washington, but I can't. This isn't the right spot, I don't think. 
I, I'd yeah, love to. I don't think they're. I think they're a bit of a pretender, but Matt Ryan outdoors on the road, bad pitch. I don't know what the weather's looking like, and just a small money line. If we can give me a little better, it's funny. I wish the. I wish Atlanta was a bigger dog. That would talk me into backing them. If I could get a better number, I would think about it. But no, this is this is an issue game for me. Uh, I have other teams in the NFC East to win tickets, so I'll definitely want Atlanta to win. But mm. uh, I don't know about their motivation right now. Okay. Well, Atlanta just missed my card, Adam. Uh, is there anything you can do to talk me into that or for, further out of that? I don't disagree with the line move. Um, I wish I anticipated this line moving before it moved three points. Uh, <laughs> sure. Did not. I mean, and this is sort of an indictment of what I was getting on to about Washington earlier, where they're playing, uh, they're taking advantage of the schedule. They're playing much uh, above what they truly are. Um, I think the big thing here is that Atlanta's going to have to attack them on the ground. Uh, if they want to have success. Uh, you look at, Atlanta and their like preferred balance in plays going back the last few weeks that they've ran the ball 32% of the time against the Giants, 34 against the Bucks, 27 against the Steelers, 36 against Cincinnati and 37 against New Orleans. So it's like, they're not able to put forth a game plan that that's ground specific. And in Washington, they, they forced these teams into passing. You look at the Washington defense, what they've done the last couple of weeks, Giants ran the ball just 21% of the time. Cowboys ran at 35%, Carolina ran at 31 and then Green Bay ran at 26. So mm. it's going to require like a pretty specific game plan for Atlanta to do coming out of the bye. That's sort of the time where you would anticipate that it would happen. Absolutely. Um, Washington, their defensive efficiency, 27th against the rush. So, I mean, that's a spot where you can attack them. The secondary is playing like with a lot of confidence, sort of a lot of, a lot of, Gusto is going to make me sound like I'm 55 years old. Um, <laughs> I mean, your, your voice already makes you sound like you're <laughs> Christ. I don't know why I pulled that up. It's a real ready, panache. But, yeah, <laughs> you can pick it. Um, but I mean, so it's going to require a very different game plan from Atlanta. Um, but like I said, coming out of the bye, if there's a time that they're going to do it, this is it. So I don't disagree with the line move. I think that it's pretty telling, especially early on here in the week. Uh, the big the big thing will be uh, once we get into like Thursday, Friday morning, if this is still holding where it is, uh, that's going to sort of tell the story. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my major angle on this, and I am still vacillating here between backing the under and backing the Falcons on the money line, uh, is all kind of revolves around Washington's offense. Presumably, everyone in the market is pricing this it this way, that Washington's going to score points on this Atlanta defense because everyone has. Uh, I will say, you know, to a degree, I'm worried a little bit about Atlanta's defense, but if they're going to, like you said, if they're going to have anything fixed, it's going to be this week. You have a coach in Dan Quinn who's a defensive-minded coach. He finally kind of get the week he needed to kind of figure out what he's going to do scheme-wise to make up for the lost pieces in the secondary. Uh, and on top of that, Washington not really attacking you the way that Atlanta's been getting gashed in the same way that the Giants really couldn't put points up against Atlanta, even on that fast surface. I think we're going to see Washington, you know, struggle to get uh, into the high twenties here against the defense that has holes. Uh, on top of that, Washington has been leaving, leaning super heavily on Adrian Peterson, like crazily heavily. I can't believe the, uh, the workload that they're giving this guy at age. What is he now? 33. Um, and, 
And he's 78. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, but what we saw last year, we saw this last year with Peterson. It was really, really tough on him to give him two weeks in a row of heavy duty carries. Uh, last year when he was with the Cardinals, they gave him 26 carries in week five for 134 yards. The next week he gained 1.9 yards in attempt. Uh, the following week, he they gave the ball 37 times for 159 yards. The next week, he went for 1.38 per attempt. Uh, now you're in a situation this year where they have upped his workload three consecutive weeks from 17 to 24 to 26 carries last week for 149 yards. I think maybe a bet that is going to be just outrageously overpriced is going to be Adrian Peterson's yards prop. Uh, that's probably the banker this week under on that prop. He is going to have a much, much, much tougher time running than he has the last couple of weeks. Uh, if great, if Grady Jarrett is back to hundred percent, which he ought to be, uh, if, um, you know, if, if they've done anything scheme wise to improve things in Atlanta's defense, uh, I think you see Washington finish in this 14 to 17 point range here, uh, which makes me like Atlanta as on the money line or the under or both. Um, so that's where I'm leaning on this one. And, uh, I'll probably decide by the time I get my car up tomorrow. That's a, we, that's a solid look. There's no, no disagreements for me there. What kind of number you think they're going to price that, uh, that rushing total at for Adrian Peterson, Andy? I haven't really been looking at the player props much, but you oh, think honestly, it's going to be, I don't, in, uh, play, I don't play like enough totals, Steven. 69 yards, 80 yards. Or I don't, something yeah, like that. I don't, no clue. I don't, gone, I don't get deep into the props market. He's gone 97, 99, and 149. If they price that thing around 80 yards, oh my goodness, I'm going to have a, a – I'm going to be hitting limit bets on uh, on that one, I think. You're going to bet an under on a rushing yards against the Atlanta defense. That's correct. That is correct. Like Godspeed, God speed, young man. <laughs> hey, man. They're giving this guy, 33-year-old guy, he's got – 50 carries combined the last two weeks. His legs are going to fall off for crying out loud. Um, let's talk about, uh, let's, should we talk about this next one? Chicago Buffalo, or should we mail this one in? Uh, should we pull the old Buffalo bills and overthrow this one? Uh, or, uh, or throw it into the dirt or run the wish, but it was, was, was like with? 10 points. I mean, did, uh, 37 might be high. Okay. Let me, let me give you, could, let me, let me, uh, let me make a couple points on this one. And you tell me if I'm wrong about any of this, Andy, uh, the, it's crazy that the uh, that Chicago and Mitch Trubisky should be nine point favorites on the road to anyone, or ten point favorites. It's crazy they should be double digit favorites on the road to anyone. That's true. Yeah, right? for it, sure. He's not accurate enough. It's crazy. It's crazy that uh, there's value on the Bills this week. But you'd be insane to back Nathan Peterman, even in best you know, even with ten points. Uh, and it's crazy to back Buffalo on a short week after they just lost their Super Bowl against uh, against the Pats on Monday Night Football. Like, there's really no freaking possible way to bet this game unless you're looking at a Bills team total under uh, or an interception props over. I mean, what what, what do you, what do you go? What, <laughs> what do you think about what about a Bills? Team total under and a Chicago <laughs> team total over. Well, you knew where I was going. Shout <laughs> out Jeff with a G. <laughs> I saw that. But Adam, uh, no, I, 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 wanna, think... I don't want to do a ton of gossip. But Adam, did you see this yesterday? Jeff, do you no. know? Do you, you follow Jeff with the G at all? Uh, there's a guy who's got a pretty large following who's kind of very, very, very publicly like learning the ins and outs of sports betting through posting just terrible posts. And uh, he. Yeah. 
somebody was like, well, what was the line in, uh, in Buffalo, New England? And he was like, well, it's uh, minus 14 most places, but I didn't see what it closed at. And then he's like, I bet the over 29 and a half from the Patriots and the under 14 and a half for the Bills. So basically, he like he created a, 50, a New England minus 15 by and put two units two, on it. By, by <laughs> input two units on it and increased the likelihood yeah, that he was, was going to get juiced out on it. But and of yeah, course, he got wild. juiced out. But but still, it was uh, it was something to behold. And um, there's high comedy going on hard. with that. I do like that Bills team total under. I think you hit on there's just so many different forces at work against each other. Like, yeah, there's probably value on Buffalo with that many points at home, but man, Peterman could throw a pick six at any given moment. You if you if this is if that's a ticket you want, then you deserve the ulcers that you're gonna get. This is a complete stay away game. I won't even I'm not even gonna give it more thought. Adam, how many uh, how many turnovers for Peterman against the ball hawking unit like the uh, like the Bears? I I've been trying to find the game you're talking about on the card, and I just don't see it. I, <laughs> that's probably, yeah, that's I, it's, not even, it's not even on the it's not even on the board. I, on the uh, I let's mean, I, I have I have no comment. <laughs> okay, let's talk. Let's talk about Deshaun Watson taking his crew uh, to Denver. Uh, we've saw some interesting line movement on this one, and I don't know that I. Totally, it's. I guess it's some part motivation because it can't be Demarius Thomas. De- Denver was opened up at uh, minus one and a half. We saw it creep up to two. Uh, this is also, by the way, off a look ahead where we were expecting to see Houston uh, as a small favorite on the road here. Uh, but no, they opened up Denver as a favorite, and it got it's gotten bet all the way down back to a, a pick'em or minus one, depending on what book you shop at. Uh, and um, you know, there's definitely some questions about where Denver is headed here. Vance Joseph clearly is not the answer at coach. Uh, John Elway, apparently not the answer at GM. He's made some atrocious personnel moves and some very, very bad drafts over the last couple of years. Although there's some interesting pieces that he got in this last, this last draft here. Um, and Denver kind of, kind of frisky here against a Houston team that has lost their wide receiver and Will Fuller, who was clicking with Watson. Uh, they sustained a whole number of injuries that were questionable. Uh, Jonathan Joseph's questionable. Brian Peters, the linebacker, is questionable. Uh, and uh, we see, you know, a pretty beaten team, albeit coming off 10 days rest, heading up to Denver uh, to take on a Broncos team that may be suffering from motivation. I bet the Broncos... <sighs> before the Demarius Thomas trade, before all this line movement. I'm going to take a CLV loss on that one, um, and I don't feel great about it. Andy, uh, Denver got a shot here as a, uh, as a yeah. small favorite at home? Yeah, I'm just going to keep waiting. I like this. I like this a lot. It was a bet I was planning on making, but I did want to wait until the trade deadline. I was worried that they were going to move multiple pieces. I would have hated to back them and see them move you know, all guys on the offense and defense, just hard fire sale today. So uh, I like the line movement based, you know, Marius Thomas, even going from one team to the team they're playing, he isn't worth a point. He's a wide receiver. Yeah. I, I, um, I don't know. He looked tough. Uh, Watson looked like he's probably feeling a lot better. He's a gamer, man. That's props to him for playing through some of the stuff. But if that lung is bothering him at all still, I do wonder how that's going to work at altitude. Exactly. A, that was my angle when I played this soft though. Yeah. 
that can't yeah. be feeling good at 5,280. So I, I do like Denver at home. I think Houston's a titch overrated. If you give Den- Denver at home and you can give me even money, I think we might even I, we might even get to a plus number on Denver when we wake up tomorrow. So we'll, we'll let this Demarius Thomas news, you know, kind of let it soak, soak, marinate a little. And then I think we'll bet Denver tomorrow or Friday, tomorrow okay. or Thursday. Adam, do you see the line moving that way again, or do you think it goes back in favor of Denver once people kind of do the math on is Darius Thomas worth two points? So I like the drink. Um, <laughs> I've put on, I've probably put on, I don't know, 30, 40 pounds in the last three to four years. Like I'm beefing up. Uh, I went for, I went for a run with the wife the other day and I was about half a kilometer, which is like a quarter probably a little more of a mile uh, if you're in the States and I'm doing this at sea level. So I used to be uh, in the, in the mountains, uh, pretty, pretty good elevation, uh, not Denver elevation, but like, I know what it's like to run at altitude. So I got to sea level and I was absolutely gassed after like five minutes of running on the weekend. Uh, and this is at sea level. And I go, Oh my God. So like you just said, like, I could not imagine what it's like if you have a collapsed lung and a cracked rib to the extent that you can't even fly on an airplane. Like, and now you're doing it in the most difficult altitude situation to play in. Like you've got to be able to breathe. Uh, And if, if it's, if it's problematic to breathe in general, uh, I mean, people get gassed at this altitude who are in the best of shape. So, I mean, that's, I think there's definitely merit to that angle. Um, but more on like a on a slightly more serious note, uh, the Denver offensive line they've been great at run blocking, uh, generating space for the running backs to move through. Um, but they rank 20th in the league in adjusted sack rate, so they can pass protection. Uh, they've really struggled. Keenum's been under pressure a lot, but what's tough with Keenum is his accuracy—just 66 percent uh, when he's under pressure, and that's well below league average. So, uh, Houston third best defensive line in the league. We know they can generate pressure. If they can get after Keenum, he's just been problematic all year, uh, creating a lot of turnovers. I've thrown three INTs under that pressure. Um, So it's definitely sort of a step down for him to deal with if he's facing this pressure that's constant. Um, If Houston can do anything to slow down that run game and put some pressure on Keenum, it's going to be an advantage for them. Uh, Houston, I, I really think that there's something to this team. Uh, I'm not sure if this is the week where they break through. Uh, it's going to have to come through their offense. But if Houston can control this game with their defensive line, uh, it's going to be a tough one for Denver. Mm, okay. Well, you've shaken my confidence a little bit. Uh, maybe the under is a good look because 46 is an awful lot number for uh, uh, for two teams that are going to try to rely on their defenses pretty heavily in this one. It's, don't let it don't let it shake you off the bet but i mean uh, it's, it's too late it's, for me i've already locked in negative closing line value so i'm good um let's talk about uh let's talk about the chargers and the uh, seahawks interesting game uh i've heard a lot of your breakdowns on the uh on the on the um simple handicap this week uh and i'll just see the floor uh i did not play this one uh yet but i am definitely into it um, make the case for the Chargers, Mr. Chernoff. So again, I was saying uh, I do like the drink, and yesterday had a had a pint or two pre-recording, and I went on I went on the longest rant uh, that I've ever been on on the episode. So it was like a sixteen-minute episode, which is about eight minutes too long. Um, but I think 
uh, sort of got into it a little bit. I don't understand this line move. First of all, um, Seattle, they've won a couple games in a row. And for some reason, betters just love to flock to the Seattle team and give them support. So this support sort of compounded through the last couple of weeks. I'm shocked that this line uh, has moved to where it is. So it opened one, I went down to pick and I saw it going down. I said, I got to jump on this now because I fully anticipated this uh, plowing through pick and carrying on towards LA minus three. Uh, and to see it sort of verve back now, uh, sitting Seattle one and a half sort of across the board, five dimes still doing that teaser thing that they like to do for some reason, uh, holding this at pick. But it's basically like one and a half, two across the board. It's it's a rare occasion where I'm almost wanting to jump back in uh, and bet them. I I think that Seattle gets burned on their offensive line. Uh, they've benefited uh, from the schedule the last couple of weeks. But I mean, you look at this offensive line that everybody openly acknowledged was a problem before the season and like a big problem. They've done nothing to go through and rectify it. But I mean, you look at right tackle, 69th in the league. There are not a lot more right tackles in the league than 69. Like to be rated 69, not good. Right guard, 64th. Again, like <laughs> when you're 64th at right guard, you're not doing good. Center, the important position. 31. We know there's 32 centers in the NFL. So, I mean, that's just compounding. Left guard, 67th. I didn't know there were 67 left guards in the NFL. <laughs> that's what the offensive line of Seattle is dealing with. Uh, and they're finding success. Left tackle, okay, we can give some props to Dwayne Brown. He's 22nd. But, I mean, so you're looking at an offensive line with the best performing player, 22nd. Uh, this team's being graded and praised and priced. Uh, like they're they're one of the best in the NFL, and I just absolutely uh, don't buy it. Uh, L.A. quietly, I think Philip Rivers arguably uh, MVP candidate in the NFL. I, I, some people may disagree with me on that, but he's having a tremendous season. Uh, Keenan Allen, huge advantage whether Seattle goes and puts uh, e- either Flowers or Griffin on him. They're going to have to rely on their safeties to come through and support him all the time. And then on the other side, you have Tyrell Williams, who's having a brilliant season as well. On the other side, uh, Rivers not going to be touched. Uh, he's been pressured. I, I think the only pr- quarterback in the entire league who's been pressured less has been Andrew Luck, who's playing behind arguably the best uh, pass-protecting offensive line in the NFL. Uh, and any time that Rivers has been pressured, it's completing the ball 75% of his throws. So it's like you don't want to blitz him. Uh, because you know if you do blitz him, you're going to get burned. But he's still using all these weapons that he has to burn all these teams when it's not. So it's like a damned if you do, damned if you don't. Uh, and I still haven't gone through and talked about Melvin Gordon, who's likely going to be back. Uh, he had the week to deal with his hamstring. Looks like he's fully recovered. Uh, everything going the way of L.A., I, I do think that they're a top two or three team in the AFC. I think Seattle's dramatically overpriced, and there's nothing but value on this number with L.A., uh, it's a pretty easy bet for me. Mm, okay. So a lot of your reasoning, a lot of your angles make total sense to me. I wonder though, if it doesn't open up a broader edge on the under, uh, we're looking at a 48 right now. Um, this to me shapes up like, you know, two teams that aren't particularly familiar with each other. They're going to be feeling each other out. I think a lot in the first half, I think Seattle, uh, I, I think this is inflated because Seattle just got points easily against the Detroit defense that was awful last week. Uh, and I think they're going to have a much tougher time to succeed against the Chargers. Where they succeed is when they're uh, they're getting the most out of their play action with Russell Wilson and he's finding wide open guys down the field. 
I agree that the Chargers' coverage is good. Their tackling is poor. And it's not like the Seattle is this team that just eats you alive with yards after catch. They're getting most of their yards through the air. Uh, and uh, I think that Seattle's team total under is probably a good look, I think. But I do think that the Seattle defense is quietly improving. I think their coverage is improving week in, week out. Seattle knows how to coach up these young defensive backs to where they're relatively capable. Uh, and I think I'm probably going to land on the under on this one. Um, so I, I think that's yeah. a pretty fair look, too. If Seattle's going to have success against the L.A. Chargers defense, it's going to be on the ground uh, where L.A. ranks 30th in rushing success rate allowed. Um, so Seattle's going to have to find that ground game. They've like fully committed the last couple of weeks. They ran the ball 68% of the time last week, the, the week before against Oakland before their bye, they ran it 61% of the time. So like the two games where they've looked really, uh, really well on offense, it's because they've gone so run heavy uh, that it's sort of taken the pressure off of this offensive line and taken it off of Russell Wilson and sort of allowed them to be, They've become balanced by being so undramatically unbalanced the other way that it's sort of limited their liability. The the one thing where I think it really bodes well for that under is teams just haven't been able to be uh, run heavy against the Chargers. No team's been able to run the ball more than 50% of the time. And you look at the last couple of weeks, Cleveland, 29%, Oakland, 27%, San Francisco, 36%, Buffalo, 37%. Um, so, I mean, it, it's, again, going to take one of those like extremely – uh, biased uh, game plans from Seattle. Uh, and if you think that running the ball keeps the clock moving, I think that does bode well for the under, as you mentioned. Hmm. Okay. Andy, uh, let's say Kansas City closes at minus eight and a half. Let's say the Chargers close at plus one and a half. Is that a beautiful AFC West uh, six point teaser pair Ooh, right there? I haven't even got into my <laughs> teaser, but uh, I already bet, I already bet uh, the Chargers. Oh, uh, you're already if, on the Chargers. It, it okay. Opened, okay. I would never advocate betting a plus two and a half. That's a money line bet to me. But the fact that it opened there, I didn't think it was getting back again. And that was a stupid number. I just took that off the opener. Uh, yeah, that's the only Sunday bet I made. It's just, it's wrong. It should be like the other, it should be flipped. Wrong team's favored. It's dumb. Uh, Austin Eckler and Mike, or what, who's the other Williams? Mike Williams? Yeah. Like, yeah. those guys would probably start for Seattle. They're the backups. Yeah. Like, Keenan Allen, Tyrell Williams, Phillip Rivers, Melvin Gordon. Like, even the, I, I like the tight ends there. Like, Virgil yeah. Green. I can get down with some Virgil Green. They're averaging <laughs> 28 a game. They're going to put up more than that. This Ooh, offense, this okay. offense is, yeah, this offense is, is it's, it's been clicking. It's played some tough ass teams. I don't believe in Seattle's defense. I think, I think they're in the whole, you know, Seattle's going to have to run the ball. That is going to be true early, but I, I see them getting behind. I worry about the over a little just because, or the under a little just because of that. But I'm yeah I'm I'm invested in the, in the Chargers here. I think they're gonna like Adam said early on they're gonna start ripping off some games here. And uh, you go home field and away. The Chargers are like prepped to play away games because their home games are away games. That's true. I don't think it makes a big a damn bit of difference. Seattle, you know, they used to have the big twelve man thing, but uh, maybe that'll be dissipated a little as they kind of you know fade into irrelevance in the NFC West. So yep, I know Char- you're saying that, but uh, they're gonna they get they are reintegrating some of their better pieces on defense. KJ Wright is back. 
Oh yeah, no, for sure. Their that. defense is better than it was. Frank Frank their Clark defense is, is not really emerging. Frank Clark is really emerging as a decent piece in the defense. Oh, by the way, you're saying that they're going to fade back. Did you know that they've only played two home games so far? They have another six games in Quest Field, unless they're uh, unless I'm making a mistake about their London game being a home game taken away from them. But um, but they've only played two so far in in Seattle. And they probably don't play in Quest Field. So you're calling, for, called you're calling for Seattle to make the playoffs? I still call play? it Quest. They play in CenturyLink. CenturyLink, yeah. So um, let me count here. One, two, three, four, five, six games left. These uh, these last uh, eight weeks of the season for them. Or I guess nine weeks of the season. Um, and uh, yeah, I could very well see uh, them being relevant in the wildcard race. In the... Uh, in the um, in the oh, NFC because they get they get the tough. Niners twice and they get the Cardinals still so there's three wins that's, there's a bunch of true. home games uh, and uh, yeah I don't I don't think they they could be written off but I do like your guys looks with the Chargers this week uh, if I was going to get involved I'd probably tease them but uh, I'm going to probably play the under here and that'll be that for me on this one let's talk about the game of the week uh, Jared Goff and the Rams taking on Drew Brees. <sighs> I have lined up a lot of money line dogs on the road this week. And the Rams are another example of that. I think uh, this team matches up extremely well with the New Orleans defense and that the dynamic aspects of the Rams offense are going to be the first and most uh, difficult test uh, that the, that the saints have uh, played against going back to Fitz magic week one. Uh, actually, I'll probably better. I'd say the Rams are better than Fitz magic week one, but um, this is a good spot for them. I believe they uh, they haven't done a lot of traveling this year. Uh, I think people are making more out of their trip to New Orleans. Uh, it's being played in you know a comfortable time slot for the Rams. Uh, we just saw you know they the the this is can the Saints get up three weeks in a row. Uh, they got up against the Ravens. They played their asses off. They got up against the Vikings. They played their asses off. I think this is the one that they come back to earth a little bit. Um, I think that we have seen Drew Brees throwing his pass attempts are ticked way up this year. Um, I'm prepared to see him kind of regress a little bit on how efficient he is passing the ball. Uh, and uh, that's even going against this Rams defense that I don't think is particularly good. Um, but I do like the matchups that they have on the offensive line. Uh, I mean, with the defensive line for the Rams against the offensive line of the Saints. And I think that the Rams can control the ball here. I think they can keep the ball out of Drew Brees' hands. And uh, I think they're going to put a little pressure on them. They'll score in their red zone chances. And uh, I think the Rams kind of um, make people scratch their heads after this one, wondering why an 8-0 team uh, was an underdog, really and truly. And uh, I this kind of goes to, I think the Rams are the class of the NFC. Um Andy, are you with me on the Rams, or am I being ludicrous here and walking into uh, a telltale trap betting against Breeze in the Superdome? I didn't even look at this game because this is the game that I cross off the fastest. The big hype <laughs> game between the two really good teams, and everybody's got an opinion, and I feel like it's just it's just a good game to lay off right away, especially since I, it's a tight line. It's, it's probably a toss-up game, the – Price is, is indicative of that right now, and it's not something I would even fathom getting involved with unless it's some sort of live over. 
Interesting. Uh, Adam, is this, uh, is this Saints team this good that they get up three weeks in a row and beat the Ravens, Vikings, and Rams in very tight spots? Well, I, I think this one's interesting. You have probably the two best coaches in the NFL in terms of being able to put together a game plan. Um, mm. what, I've, what I've really liked this year from Sean Payton is he's been able to maneuver this team in, in two very different ways. So like we saw last week where uh, Drew Brees, he had what one attempt longer than 11 yards. Uh, otherwise, everything else was short. Uh, offensively, they went for 270 yards. They were run heavy, 55%. Uh, they grinded out the win. Uh, and they got away from a tough game where they put forth a very specific game plan and they won it. Same thing with the week prior. Uh, again, everything was very short. They were run heavy, 56% against Baltimore. We went into Baltimore and they out Baltimore and Baltimore. They did, <laughs> they did, they did extremely well. And it's not something we typically see from the Saints team, or at least not what the market is used to. Uh, but then you look earlier in the season, like they went into Atlanta, they went 65% pass, put up 519 yards and they averaged 6.7 yards per play. Uh, they went into Washington, same thing, 7.1 yards per play, went heavy on the pass, uh, and then again against Cleveland, 62%. Uh, not as high of an average yards per play, but they were still forcing everything downfield uh, and, and attacking the teams deep. So this team is extremely good, or Sean Payton, rather, is extremely good at getting this team to be the style that they need to be the face to opponent and doing it on a really quick turnaround. Uh, so I think uh, like Sunday night might be looked at as a bit of a liability that they played late. They had to do something very specific against Minnesota to get that win. But L.A. equally just a few hours earlier had to deal with their toughest game of the year against Green Bay. Uh, which required a ton of adjustments in second half to get that right. Uh, so coming in, like New Orleans knows they've done two weeks in a row. They used to have to get up, and they certainly did. But that game plan they put forth the last two weeks against Baltimore and Minnesota directly applies against L.A. They have to run hmm. the ball. They have to control it. They have to attack the Rams, uh, who rushing success defense uh, 26th in the league. That's their one weakness. That's where they have to be exploited, and they haven't really faced that test yet. Uh, so if there's a team that can do it, really no one's better suited to do it than the Saints. Uh, they've hmm. done it now two weeks in a row. So like, it looks like L- L.A. is coming in. It's going to require this huge getup. It's really a lot of the same stuff that they've done the last two weeks sort of carrying over. Uh, so it's going to be – I don't think it's as much work uh, for Peyton to get ready for them uh, as it is the Rams who are really going to have to go uh, sort of run uh, – they're really going to have to land their pass and not so much on their run. They've been uh, pretty balanced uh, throughout this, this season so far. Uh, their lowest run rate's been 43%. So it's, they've really been able to keep it balanced. A lot of that, someone has been uh, sort of backing into these big leads and then just by by sake of game state, uh, they've been able to rush the ball a lot higher. But um, last week was the first time we've seen them come below 50 success, 50% success rate. Uh, and it was really challenging uh, for them to come back. They got that fumble late. Otherwise, who knows what might have happened. Um, mm. So going into New Orleans, it's going to be by far the most difficult uh, place they've had to play all season. Uh, they've played, I think, five of six of their games so far. They've been in the state of California. So this is like the first big travel game uh, where they're really going to face sort of that hostile environment. And then the big liability becomes Jared Goff. He's been able to succeed in these comfortable surroundings. Uh, he's been pressured, uh, but he hasn't he hasn't got bit by it just yet. Uh, Saints probably not the defense uh, to go crazy, but this is arguably the top three defensive line in the NFL. 
Uh, right now, they're, they're grading extremely well uh, blocking the run. So it's going to put the pressure on Goff. Uh, my theory is that when the pressure is on him, he's going to crumble. I don't know if it's this week, but this is an easy spot just because the New Orleans secondary is not necessarily there to back up this defensive line who yeah. can make them one-dimensional. But again, like Minnesota, very aggressive passing defense, very efficient, very similar to how efficient the Rams are. And New Orleans was able to make them one-dimensional and then sort of attack uh, with their defense and really sell out. If they're able to put forth the same game plan, uh, you have to like it. Unfortunately, so everyone was sort of able to see that last Sunday night. Maybe not to the detail. I've just sort of gone in, but they've sort of been able to see that New Orleans is as good as they are. Um, they've sort of heard the Drew Brees hype. So I think a lot of the value's gone out of this price. Um, but, I mean, I think the line move here is somewhat warranted. Uh, as you mentioned, it is a bit weird to see the undefeated team uh, getting points, but I think that's sort of telling about how the situation sits up there. Mm, okay. Yeah. Uh, I do worry a little this, bit about this is seeing like golf. the farthest they're going to travel. Like this, the uh, Rams all season, yeah, all season. Yeah. Yes. Well, yeah. technically Chicago is a little further. I looked it up, but essentially Chicago and new Orleans are about the same distance from uh, LA and the, they haven't really traveled. So that and it, it's a tough place to play, and you know you say like, can the Saints get up? Can they get up every week? It didn't. Did it seem like the Saints were like emotionally and physically drained at the end of the Vikings game? No. And it seemed like, you know, I don't know if it was the. Granted, the week before that was a that was a hell of a game to get, you know once we got down to the end of it, but the, I don't know the Saints coming home like this. I, I like I said, I didn't really get involved, but just listening to everything you guys both said. I definitely lean Saints. You got. Hmm. I think it's a coin toss game. You go with the home team. I do worry a little bit about Jared Goff dressing as Malibu's most wanted for Halloween. Uh, that's a bad sign. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, you know, Goff. I think that the uh, the offensive line, assuming they can protect him, you know, give him time to to pick apart the Saints defense this week. I think they're just going to put on a masterclass. I think that's going to be it's going to be uh, an offensive spectacle out of the Rams this week against the Saints defense that I think is uh, quietly extremely suspect. Um, and uh, One more know. little thing, I guess, to add on. So a lot of his success comes off of play action. He uses play action more than any All other quarterback. He uses, uses it more than any other quarterback in the NFL. Um, mm-hmm. If Another potential way to look into the Saints here is if they're able to shut out this run and they know that the run can't beat them, that plays in a little bit too because then they're not going to bite nearly as much on that play action as if it was a unit that actually feared that the team could run the ball on them. So I think that that confidence of knowing that they're as good of a run-stopping defense as they are plays a little bit into the fact that they're not potentially going to be set up to bite so often in play action, which is where Goff has his success. Man, I don't know, man. I think that the dynamic running attack that the Rams are unleashing is something that the Saints haven't seen before, and I don't know that they that they have a game plan to stop it. I really don't. They're running so much out of the eleven formation; it's really confusing who's getting the ball, where it's where it's going. It's not like uh, you know a lot of the teams that the Saints have come up against who you know who they you know who they completely squashed. Uh, in the running game, like the, like the, uh, what's a good example? Like the Redskins game was a great example. They were just running super traditional looks. um, And uh, the saints were prepared for it. Like they weren't, you know, they weren't surprising them and the Rams can surprise them. Uh, And I think they're going to control 
control the ball, control the pace, and uh, pick their pick their score here. I really do. I think that like the the Rams is probably one of my favorite looks of the week this week. I think they they give the the Saints a, a little bit of taste of who's uh, who's in charge in the NFC this week. Let's talk about who's in charge in the AFC or who's in charge in the goat dis- in the goat debate of of uh, active quarterbacks. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, terrible travel spot for Green Bay here. Uh, they're flying from uh, Green Bay to L.A. last week. They lose in the heartbreaker. Rodgers never gets his hands on the ball with the chance to win or tie. Uh, <laughs> trade that player away. They trade that guy away. Now they got to fly to the East Coast, play in primetime against Tom Brady and Fox Pro. Awful, awful spot here. Line looks too low to me at five and a half for the sixes out there. Uh, I, I kind of want to get involved back in the Patriots here. I think Tom Brady is going to look much different against this Green Bay defensive unit than he looked against the Bills on Monday Night Football. Uh, this looks like a cherry spot to get a cheap price on the Patriots. Am I being crazy, Adam? Well, okay. So we'll go from, uh, I guess, sort of a bit of a, a market perspective here. The big the big game where everybody was watching uh, everyone had a lot of money was that Sunday night game against Kansas city. A lot of people got in late there. Uh, they bet on the Patriots and they ended up getting burned. Um, looking back uh, through green Bay, when the markets really stepped up and backed them like they did last week, um, but also a couple other times this season, green Bay stepped up and delivered uh, in these big games. So I think that this sort of recency bias of what these teams have done for the market lately is playing a lot into this movement because I don't think that seven was an unreasonable opener. Uh, and quite, quite frankly, I think it could be higher. Um, I'm looking at new England. I think that they can run it against this green Bay defense or utilize these short passes. I don't even know if you call white a running back. It's sort of like this extension that New York or new England does so well out of the backfield with their backs uh, able to shift it up. Uh, but overall, like just New England top five uh, passing, top five running the ball. Uh, but then their defense has also stepped up, I think, a little bit bigger. They've really eliminated teams on the ground coming against them. Uh, and they force teams to pass. If they're able to do that, uh, make Green Bay one dimensional, then it all comes down on Rodgers. I think people see that as an advantage for Green Bay. Uh, as you mentioned, this travel spot for them, I'm not sure that's the case. Uh, I think that Green Bay last week, was getting a very uh, a very generous price uh, with the market driving that one down. I think the same thing happening here, and people are sort of seeing that situation tie into what happened last week in the market and jump on it right away. But uh, with this price as big as it is, I think it's quite telling, and I would definitely be leaning New England in this one. Mm. Andy, are we making this the uh, the the primetime uh, deep dive consensus? On New England here? He probably. And Green Bay's defense isn't good. It's kind of a – that's been a theme for Rodgers a lot of his career, but this this defense is pretty not good. And, what, do mean, you shipping, like, uh, what do you make of them shipping uh, Clinton Dix? Yeah, I, that didn't – I guess – like he, his contract situation, maybe it kind of made sense, but I guess it kind of says that you're not in win now mode because, I mean, if you, if you're looking that far, maybe not that far into the future, but if you're if you're not thinking about doing anything this year, which maybe they're kind of realizing that the the NFC, the NFL in general, they're not set up right now. I don't think to make a deep playoff run, even with Rodgers. It's tough. Rodgers has been making shitty receivers look great for his whole career. and But, man, he's working with some real – it's hard to turn chicken shit into chicken salad every week. 
and <laughs> he has he's done an admirable job. Um, uh, Rogers will get his, but yeah, boy, even with Gronk looking halfway washed, and granted, he made a great catch at the end. Uh, that, that catch along the sidelines, I didn't think he was in in real time. That was amazing. They have so many weapons all of a sudden. Beginning of the year, we're like, oh, man, what what's going to happen? Is it going to be like Freddie Mitchell's their top receiver kind of thing again? And all of a sudden, Edelman's back. Gronk's doing his thing. Gordon's, you know, James White might be one of their best receivers. It's it's just nuts what this offense can do all of a sudden once you get to midseason every single year. So I think, yeah, Brady can probably name his number at home. And, you know, you give me sell this out to six. I'm probably going to be on New England. All right. Well, good luck to all of us. It'll be fascinating. And I can't wait to listen to the simple handicap to uh, catch up on the market moving for that game, since it will be so pivotal on Sunday Night Football with the likes of Rodgers and Brady. Uh, And uh, some pretty interesting public momentum going both ways in this one. You guys ready to wrap? Yeah. Good job. Great talk. This was about, this was a two hour marathon, but I think we gave a lot of really useful information to people. So I'm sure they will like it. They usually probably listen. They probably listen to us uh, at uh, one and a half speed anyway, hopefully, but uh, let's wrap this up. Uh, Adam, how how did you do on your beer tally? Uh, I don't think you heard me crack the third one, but I finished three. I got in a bet uh, on the chargers, a couple suspected liens, uh, I guess, for the sake of making this uh, the integrity fees monitoring the price. I would, I would lean towards New England. That'll put the price right at five. Uh, so anyone who took under five and a half, that was a pretty good number set by whoever was making those prices. Uh, okay. I, I, uh, I had one beer and I okay. made uh, and I made four bets. Uh, so I'm at five as well. Andy, did you crack a beer? Or I, didn't even, I didn't even drink tonight. I'll probably have some. Oh, no action. No action. Oh, no action. No action. I'll, I'll drink yet. I, I, I need something to need something to put me to sleep. Better you, I was so excited. I stopped by on the store and uh, the Guinness wasn't in the fridge. And I grabbed this like horchata style milk stout from like a really good local brewery here. And I was like, that sounds like a brilliant idea. And it was, it was a struggle to choke these down. So I'm very <laughs> disappointed yeah. if it was, if it was the usual Guinness, uh, I probably would have chucked back a couple more, but that probably slowed things down. So apologies to anyone who had the over. All right. No worries. Uh, <laughs> it's you did, you did your best, man. Uh, let's wrap up this pod. Great job. And, uh, good luck. Best of luck this, uh, this week and best of luck the rest of the season. And I'm sure we'll, uh, make some time to try to bring you back around once the playoffs roll around. Cause love hearing your perspective on these things. And, uh, that's a wrap. 